Coming up on episode 179 of Wheel Bearings, it's a crowdsourced show this week with live listeners getting a chance to join us in creating wheel bearings. We're driving the 2021 Hyundai Sonata N-Line, Kia K5 EX, and GMC Canyon AT4. We talk about listeners' cars, too, and then move on to answering some questions about Tesla's latest infotainment recall. Our interview about automotive advertising with Henry Gomez from Zuby Advertising and the Brief Brothers podcast comes up next, and we finish up with some suggestions for future guests. That's all ahead on episode 179 of Wheel Bearings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Before we start this week's show, we wanted to thank and welcome our newest Patreon patrons. So Greg Dornseif, John Shen, Henry Gomez, and Alan Liptak, we appreciate your support of Wheelbearings. Now on with the show. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Mabual Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And we're like all y'all are all y'all <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing a live well, episode hello to the gang yeah the gang yes. yeah scooby gang meddling kids uh, so let's talk about what we're driving um and i haven't looked at the sheet so uh, uh rebecca i'm gonna put yes. you on the spot what are you what are you driving sure thing so i had the 2021 hyundai sonata n-line so i actually had this car almost exactly a year ago uh I, but just the, the non endline version of it. This was delightful. So a couple of things happened. First of all, it was this like crazy, what they call glowing yellow. I oh, felt like it was more like a really weird, funky goldish color. You, so is it like dehydrated yellow? Like... <laughs> Never mind. No, it, it was very goldish. It's, it's, you know, what's interesting about it? I, Cause I noticed on the, on the website, you know how there's always the, they, they say, you know, the color may be a little bit different based on your monitor or something. My, maybe it was my monitor, but the color was nothing like it on the website. It's, but it was a really cool, fabulous color. So a couple of things happened. So most of my neighbors 
I, because I had to meet them and assure them that I wasn't a drug dealer. Uh, they know what I do for a living. I've had that question They don't drive Hyundai's. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is, you know, constant well, parade yeah. of cars. So my first neighbor looked and, and he said, oh, what infinity do you have this week? Ooh. And then another neighbor said, is that a Lexus? I mean, this thing was just the, just the styling of it was gorgeous. The, the, the interior was gorgeous. The color was gorgeous. The A pillar was not gorgeous. (laughs) I kept hitting my head or like ducking to get in because of course the seat is up close. Uh, And what's disappointing because I was trying to remember if it was Acura's or Honda's or both. They have the, the seat that automatically goes back for you. And so when you get it, you know, when, as you get out of the car, the seat, moves back a little bit for you so you can exit out easier yeah, i would recommend they didn't have that in the in the sonata you know what maybe it wasn't i, uh, maybe, I don't I, think so i don't think i've ever seen it in a sonata that's one of those things that like every every time i have it i shut it off because i hate it right <laughs> but, but, but this time i would have liked it right it's just like yeah, it might be handy <laughs> this would have been a good one uh but so that so a couple things that are different about the end line first of all i all the other versions of the sonata have the 1.6 liter uh, four-cylinder turbo engine this has the 2.5 liter turbo 290 horsepower 311 foot pounds of torque and it has a wet clutch so maximizing that torque. So, Dave, there you go. There's my little engineering talk for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's got that's their a dual wet it? clutch. Right, that's the it's a dual wet, wet clutch. Yes, wet, wet yeah. dual clutch. Actually. Yeah, their eight speed. Um, eight uh, speed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's the, the DCT. New, it's the it's the new DCT that they uh, launched this year. Uh, they put it in the Veloster N, um, the Elantra N. Um, and now in the uh, Sonata N line, it's really good. I mean, not all DCTs are created equal. So I actually was I I drove one of the first Porsche 911 PDKs, and those have come a long way as well. And this one is just really really good. I actually had the opportunity. You know, we talk a lot about how we don't get a chance to really drive cars a lot because we don't have places to go anymore. But in this case, I did. I had some, I had to deliver something to a friend of mine out mm-hmm. on Long Island. Drugs. Drugs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and That's so why I you got... have different cars every week. So, you know, <laughs> when they see you on the closed too, circuit like... TV, you know, they, 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 don't, they don't know who it is. What do you hit the ferry out of Bridgeport and then come back up through the boroughs so they can't catch you? Never the same route twice. <laughs> exactly. I, actually, I, I took different routes back. So <laughs> all these different back. burner phones to try out Android <laughs> exactly. Auto and CarPlay with. I took the Throg's neck over, the white stone back. It was all yeah. good. <laughs> You know me. Oh my God. I got to keep the it up. Throg's neck up. Our lovely, uh, what is the that? Oh, you got to pay the Point. bills. Kings Point. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I got a chance to put about 200 miles on the car. Uh, and a couple of things, I got 32 miles per gallon, which was amazing. But that thing was so happy at like 85 miles an hour. It just, the power of it. I didn't have a lot of traffic, which is to me is always when you really need that torque, but it was just enough. I mean, it was just, you know, going over the Whitestone Bridge, there's, there's always construction and such, and there's big trucks and everything, and just wanting to get around them. It was just delightful. It was so much fun to drive. I really, really didn't want that car to go away. And so it, I, I loved it. Infotainment system wise, it was very, very good. The I feel like I've had very good experiences consistently with this Sonata. Uh, this had a 
10, a 10 inch screen to it, which was really, really good. Android Auto actually worked very well, had both the native uh, language capabilities as well as Android Auto. I've gotten better at using Google Assist for sure, but it just was easy to use. It was, it was very intuitive, had wireless charging. So, you know, I just, I really liked it. Did it have um, wireless CarPlay or, or wireless uh, Android Auto? No. So no. I don't, I, it did not. The Pacifica might have it. The Pacifica, I have the Pacifica. Pacifica has it, but they, okay. uh, and, and a number of other cars I've driven recently have wireless, but not uh, the Hyundais and Kias don't yet. Yeah, it's getting more popular. And I mentioned Pacifica, guys, just because I, I had one of those uh, this week as well, but I'm not going to talk about that this time. A lot time, of but drugs to move this week. A lot of drugs. <laughs> that moves a lot of drugs. You could fit a lot of stuff. You know, you could use those stone-go seats, and you could pack I a did lot love of those stone-go seats. So just remember, okay. Okay. Just for we're, next we're week, when you, talk about, when you talk about your drive to Newark, <laughs> the, the port of entry, what you were picking up. Yeah. I say nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so let me just look at my notes real quick. Oh, a couple things. So my brother Larry is visiting from um, actually from California, Pasha, um, and he is six foot three, blonde hair, blue eyes. We look exactly alike. And he, so he actually got into the passenger side of the Sonata and was able. I mean, he's got mile long legs, and he was able to stretch all the way back and still had room. It's not electric, which is unfortunate. Uh, so it's the the passenger you seat, the seat manual. The, yeah, manual. Not my okay. brother. Manual adjustment. <laughs> well, I thought you meant the car. But, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> the seat is a, the yeah. passenger seat is not electric, um, but he fit really well in it. You know, there wasn't a lot of room in the back uh, once he was he was situated, but there was plenty of room behind me. But just, you know, it had a nice it had a nice, comfortable cabin in there um, for both of our sizes, which is always nice. Uh, N-Line, again, has a, it's. It's mostly loaded. It's missing a few things. The limited has a few other uh, features, but really you're getting just about everything that you could possibly want in this thing. I One thing I wanted to ask you guys, so the Hyundai digital key, that mm -hmm. didn't do anything for me. I didn't understand why I would want you, that. Uh, well, you, you have Is to- Is it a guy thing, like with your wallet? Well, um, you, have, you, have, you have to um, set up the app and pair it on your phone and pair it to the car. And um, then it's it's NFC or actually it's both NFC and Bluetooth LE. So, well, it worked. I just didn't understand why I would want it. I want to know what this oh, wallet so you, thing is. What, what so, what's the guy thing about well, the so, wallet? So it's so it's a card that opens the car, <sighs> right? And and starts the car and stuff. Oh, oh, the, but, the, oh! I thought you meant the using okay. your phone as the key. Yeah. No, no, no! It's the card. Oh. It's yeah. literally like I wish I had it, yeah, it here. It's, a, it's an NFC card. It's it's the same as the. The uh, cards you get in hotels now, your key cards for the hotel. So right. it's an N it's an NFC card, and you just tap it on the door handle, and it but unlocks the car. I, well, and the reason I bring it up is because I mean, obviously, I keep the key in my bag, and it does right. that. But obviously, judgment free zone. If you want to carry a bag, it's fine. But most guys don't. And so I was wondering if you put the card in your wallet, can you like just like kind of nudge yeah, your butt up if, to as the, long as long yeah. as the card is like on the outer edge, you know, outermost, you know, if you've got a stack of cards in your wallet, as long as it's right. like near the, the edge and then you tap that side, it should work. Um, yeah. But, that, you know, I, I don't see that as a, 
particularly useful thing. Yeah, I, how I guess, is that any better than having the fob in your pocket? And well, play? that's what right. Well, that's that's what, what I don't. You don't. You don't have to carry the fob with you. Chances are you're going to have your wallet on you. Okay. You know, yeah. So that's what I'm license. thinking. It's sort of like a. Yeah. It's a good. That was my thought. Was it's a good solution for a guy if he but, wants to put it you in know, his if wallet. You're, if you're car- you know, if you've got the uh, the fob, you know, if you're carrying a purse or a bag, and you've got the fob in there, then you know you don't even have to reach out, grab your wallet, and tap it or anything. Right. You know, like my wife, she keeps her car keys in her purse, you know, for her Civic, and they never come out of her purse unless she's changing purses. You know, right. she just walks up to the car and, and pulls the handle; and it's unlocked, and as soon as she walks away, it locks. Um, so you know, I think. Personally, I think that's actually more convenient than an NFC card. See, this is this is the the failure to think about things from a design thinking perspective. They didn't try to actually use that, or I mean, they did, but maybe they just like the idea. Okay, that we we can put it on an NFC card inside somebody's wallet, but you've just created extra steps versus the fob that we've had for like ten years now. Where you just walk up and it, you grab the well, handle. Well, some people don't want to carry the fob because, you know, modern fobs are kind of getting big and bulky and people sure. don't want to stick those in their pocket. I, I get that. So their other solution is to use your phone. Use your, right. Which, which, you, but I, which I you're almost you certainly going to take with you. Yeah. You also have to poke at the screen to make that unlock the car. Actually, right? no, you don't. No? Okay. If, if, you, if you have it paired to your car, you just tap it on the door handle, just like you would if you're doing tap to pay, you know, with, with Apple Pay or okay. Android or right. Google Pay, you just tap it on the door handle and it unlocks. See, so that's I, a better solution because you've already got your phone. You probably got it in your hand and yeah. uh, adding extra steps where you've got to take the thing out and tap. Like, it's not too much of an extra yeah, step, I, but it's, it is yeah, I think, an extra thing. You know, it, what, what Hyundai did here is they basically, you know, rather than making uh, an editorial decision, they, they just put everything in there and said, here, here, you can do it. With the fob, and that's, you can do it with the card, yeah. you can do it with your phone, whatever you want. Take your pick, you know. And It'll, so, yeah, that, that's valid enough, right? That's yeah. like, that's how we talk about iDrive, where you can scratch on it with your finger, or you can do the air, you know, gestures in midair, or touch the screen. So, however you're most comfortable, I guess, getting into the car, yeah, you can do it. Um, I it it does. I don't know, like. I'm not comfortable with the idea of using my phone for it just because I'm sure I'll lose my phone somewhere and then I'll be locked out of the car because I'm an idiot. But uh, the card seems like not terrible. Like even if you just want to tuck it into your wallet and, and have it like as a, as an alternative. So if you are consistently yeah, I mean, as, an idiot and you lose your keys. As, you, as a backup, you know, if yeah. you if you leave your fob somewhere, you know, you, you all, you're going to have that with you probably. Yeah. So I. Okay. I just thought you were like uh, making a blanket statement about how guys like we do something particular with our wallets. And I was curious. Uh, <laughs> I would never bl- make a blanket statement about men. I, it's perfectly fine you're if too, you do. It's, it's you're you're too ground. much variety. There's you know, <laughs> too much breadth and depth. <laughs> um, so it's astounding to me that Hyundai's making performance cars now. Given like good, credible performance cars that don't really give up anything to the the usual suspects, right? Like this, to me, the the Hyundai's and Kias I've driven lately really seem like they could compete with stuff like this. This seems like it could compete with like a Jetta GLI or. Oh, well, well, this is what happens when you hire Albert Bierman as your head of R&D. When when you hire all the Germans. Um, Yeah. it's a it's it's impressive that they've. 
they've invested in it because it's not that they couldn't do it. It's just that it, it this takes effort and, and investment. It does. Well, and the price point. So this thing is was thirty three thousand three hundred. It had a couple of options on it. So it topped out at just about thirty five thousand delivered. And, you know, the Hyundai starts at just about twenty four thousand. So you're getting so much power and so many features. You know, it's there's this huge sunroof, heated seats. They, they don't have ventilated seats. And you have to go to the limited for that. But you've also got the five-year, 60,000-mile warranty. You know, this was an interesting – driving this car was interesting because people couldn't identify it, as I mentioned. So people would ask me, oh, what is that? And I would say, it's Hyundai Sonata. And everybody asked me, "Are now, is Hyundai really – are they really good cars? And, you know, I assured them that they were. But then also when you look at how much of the warranty that they've done, you know, the five or 60,000, the 100,000 mile warranty, they've got five years of roadside assistance. I mean, the list goes on. They really stand behind their product, but they do still continue to have that perception issue. So I don't know, maybe these kind of performance vehicles uh, will help them overcome that. But I loved I loved it. I thought it was really, really good and and just you know, really cool. I, I, again, we talked about this before, but I would have loved to have seen this as a hidden hatchback just for mm. more practicality. I, you know, I do think that if I'd love to see more sedans go that route because they do compete so much for utility with the SUVs uh, in the States. But overall, I was just absolutely delighted by this thing. I like the seats. The seats are pretty sharp. The seats are really, really sharp. I'll put some pictures on because uh, I, my picture showed up now and, and I, I want, I, hopefully the color will come through cause it was really cool. It's a cool color on the website. I was, I was poking around while you were talking about it. It's, um, cause you know, my, my favorite is the, the, uh, Sonata plugin, um, so far. Which, which color did you have Rebecca? The, the, I had the yellow? uh, glowing yellow. Yes. Oh yeah. Glowing yellow. It does glow. It does, <laughs> but it was very easy to identify, you know, yeah. You you have you have your choice of half a dozen monochromatic shades right. and then glowing yeah. yellow yes. or uh, calypso red. <laughs> Which gray would you like, sir? Yes. Um, but the, you know the interior features were really nice. I mean, I don't know. I just thought they did a really good job with it. You know, again again for thirty three thousand, you got leather, you know, suede seats, uh, red touches. Even the pedals are you know kind of a cool um, metal finish on them. Nice top stitching. It just, you know, there was just a lot of really, really good things about it. The digital dash. And so I, it's a fantastic vehicle. I actually saw one. It was, I, as I was, I was coming home late a couple nights ago. And as I came off of the exit for 95, there's a McDonald's right there. And it caught my eye because there was cars there. And it was one of the few things that was still open. And, and there was one in there. And my first, so I was actually driving the Pacifica. And my first thought was, Oh my gosh, did I leave the keys in it and somebody stole Because <laughs> it was like, I was only like two miles from home. And, you know, we were just talking about like, I, I, I tried out the digital key and everything. And I'm flying down Route 1. I'm going like 55 miles an hour, which I've already gotten a ticket on that route once. And I was like, well, you know what? If they stole the car, there's nothing I can do about it. But fortunately, they didn't, obviously. But it just, it really caught my eye. It's such a cool color. And I think I just, I thought they just did a great job on this car. I didn't realize Greenwich was such a high crime area. Oh, it's huge. What is that? That, (laughs) Like, 
that's Darien, right? Like where the the McDonald's is in ninety five. No, no, you're thinking it's. I know this is actually is is in Greenwich, but oh. the number one way that cars are stolen in Greenwich is people leave Ooh, their leave keys, the keys in yeah. their car because they take them out of their pocket, right? Tommy Hilfiger had like three cars stolen one night. Well, I mean, when you're Tommy Hilfiger, like, what's an eighty thousand dollar car? Do you, do you even like, you notice know, that there's, there's a car cost? missing in that case? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a box of tissues. Whatever. But they like got yeah. in through his gated. They got in through his gate and can and you give me his address out. where he might leave cars <laughs> unlocked? He's selling Greenwich. his house so you can look online. And his his ex-wife just sold her house here too. So. Oh well. I'm yeah. sure I don't have any multiple tens of millions. But there are, I mean, that is that is the the easiest way that people steal cars is you just don't think about it. You leave you leave your keys in your car. And one of the things I tell people, because it is a seriously, it's a problem here, but I, I remind them if their mirrors flip up to have that as a setting, because then you can just look outside. If you can see your car from your house, you can look outside and know whether your car is locked by the oh, position of your yeah. mirrors. That's pretty good. Thank that's you. Good. I like it. A little hint. That's a good tip. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, Sam, last week when we did the show, I teased it. Uh, that you were going to talk about the Kika K5. So now we've all had the K5. Yeah, I had I had a different variation. And this, of course, is the, you know, the corporate cousin to the Sonata, um, you know, the, the K5. It's uh, it's Kia's variation on the same platform. And it's also the same platform that's used for the, the Sorento crossover that we talked about uh, back in early December, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I. I love this. I love this car. It's it's so a how fan- is yours different than ours? I had the EX. Uh, so I think oh, you okay. guys both had the GT line. Right. Yes. yes. So yeah. the GT line, which is what the SLS or something S. Which is not the GT. No, different. Yeah. Um, the GT line is is has the flashy red seats and the um, spiffy wheels and stuff, and it's 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 like a value sort of performance ish. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it's like when you look at some of the premium, you know, you look at BMW, they have M cars and then they have M Sport and AMG line and AMG, you know. So you get the looks of the performance model, but without all the the fat, the go faster bits. So you don't get the 2.5 liter turbo, for example, uh, you, you know, it has the, the base 1.6 liter turbo, which actually I think is a fantastic engine. Um yeah, you know, I you know I drove this thing for a week and it was just it was awesome. You know, it, it's for an engine that size. You know, 180 horsepower is fairly typical of you know a turbo modern turbo four cylinder. Uh, you know that that's you know that roughly that displacement, but this one it just feels really good. It's smooth. Um, you know, it's it you know it's got a lot of low end torque. I mean, they all do, but. You know, this one just know, something about it just felt particularly good uh, to drive. I really enjoyed driving it, and I love the way this car looks. The design, you know, it's you know this new iteration of Kia's design language, uh, you know, and it's in a lot similar in a lot of ways to the to the new Sorento. Uh, you know, you've got this rather than you know on on the last two iterations of the Optima. You know, the, the grill was, you know, kind of laid back and kind of flush with the rest of the fascia and, you know, the whole thing laid back. And I, I, like, I enjoyed the look of that, but this one, you know, is a new, a new look, you know, it's kind of concave. Um, you know, I like the way that, you know, the, the elements that make up the grill itself, you know, these little, um, almost like little shovels, 
you know, they look like when you look at them up close. Um, and you know, the, the shape of the lights, you know, it's, it's got a really contemporary, modern, unique look to it. You know, it doesn't look quite like anything else, um, but without being overstyled. Yeah. And yeah. You know, and that's, that's really tough to do, right? Like get all the gingerbread you want in there so that it, it, it's one of those designs and key is really good at it lately where it gives you a little bit extra, the more you look at it. So the mm-hmm. longer you spend time with it, the more things you find that just delight you. Uh, right. And, and, and it's to not do that, huge either. Yeah, to, to do that and be subtle about it is that's, that's the trick. And that's one of the things that I noticed too, is like, man, that is just, it's, it doesn't matter what it costs at a certain point. It's just a masterpiece, no matter what. And, and I, I feel like the K5 is, is quite good. And, you know, another really interesting detail that they did, you know, the, the last two generations of the Optima, you know, they both had, you know, this chrome strip that went up the A pillar across the top of the glass and then mm. down the C pillar and then ended at the, the trunk lid. Now on the K5, that actually continues around all, you know, all the way under the lower perimeter of the rear glass and wraps around and goes back around the other side. So it, it basically one continuous piece of chrome trim from one A pillar to the other wrapping all the way around the car. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's a little detail, but when you notice it, it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, they yeah. really thought about this, you know, and they, and they finished that. it. It's funny how, how just, we're just suckers for Chrome, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was, it's really well done. Cause it, it's one of those subtle things you, you see it and it, it just, again, it's like that, that was deliberate. <laughs> and so you, it's just nicely, nicely executed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, the K5, you know, is available with all wheel drive, unlike the Sonata, which I think is still front wheel drive only, but, um, you know, I, it was, uh, the one I had was front wheel drive. Uh, let's see where here. I think we had the all wheel drive. Yeah. Mine was all-wheel drive. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this, this one was front wheel drive. Uh, you know, no, you know, even with the, the torque, you know, this engine makes, you know, torque steer was not a problem. It was, it was fine. It was all, you know, it has a great, uh, great balance of ride and handling the interior really well executed on this thing. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, very similar to the, uh, 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 to the Sonata, you know, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, this, um, across the top of the dash, you know, kind of this, the plastic enclosure that encompasses the, the centered touchscreen, uh, and the instrument cluster, you know, wraps around, wraps all the way around. Um, it's, you know, everything about it was, was just wonderful to spend time in. You know, I, I really enjoyed this car. And, you know, the EX is the, the second from the top trim. So it's in between the GT line and the GT. Uh, so it still has, it has the 1.6 liter that's in the, in the GT line. Um, but it's a, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit higher trim level than the, than the GT line. Uh, and let's see, every, every, I just, I really enjoyed it. You know, the back seat is huge. The trunk lid, as you said, is kind of small, you know, so if, if, there's actually a lot of room in the trunk, but right. the, the opening is small, which makes it's, it a pain if you want to carry anything large. Hatchbacks, fellas. Yes. Hatchbacks. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> it's just, you know. Especially um, hidden ones. You yeah. know, you can do them really subtle. So they're they not, do. they don't scream I mean, like, you know, 1970s Vega hatchback. Yeah. Right. You can no, do them no. really nicely. Just do it. Do it like the Stinger. Just just crib the notes from, from the other car in the, the lineup and you'll be fine. I have, I have 
percent faith that they can figure it out. Um, and I think when we talked about it the last time, I hadn't gotten uh, the wireless CarPlay to work on it. And so I spent a little bit more time with the K5 fiddling with that. And uh, their infotainment, you know, and, and I'm sure it's really similar to the the Hyundai infotainment. It's just really good. And and once I figured out how to connect the phone, um, you only have to do it once. It connects real fast. And there's the, the wireless charging pad. And so... Is there wireless CarPlay in there? Yeah, because uh, okay. it has that little spot for the phone that you just tuck in. Right, right it's got a wireless charger. Yeah, so it but also I has don't... wireless CarPlay. Um, okay, the one the EX did not have the wireless CarPlay. Okay, uh, or so or they, Android you know, Auto differentiation. Yeah. Um, but it was because that's the thing. Like, if you're gonna have the wireless pad, but you still have to plug it in to use CarPlay, it kind of defeats yeah, the purpose of the it wireless does. pad. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, unless you're I not actually totally. using CarPlay or Android <laughs> Auto. I mean, if you're right. if you're using the radio, which apparently some people still do. I, I, still, I don't know who those people are, but <laughs> there are some people who still listen to the radio. Or or if you want to listen to the sounds of nature, you do have the sounds That's of nature. Right. Oh. I've never tried the sounds of nature. How, how are they? What's your favorite? Oh, um, no. I recorded a little video, went through the, the six <laughs> options. I, I posted it on... Uh, on Instagram. Um, I couldn't make them stop at one point. <laughs> I had to turn the car off because if you switch yeah. it to any media source, you'll, it'll turn, turn it off. It was like, it was like this. It was like the, the like there was like snow and I'm like, what does snow sound like? Yeah, well, it was yeah, the sound of, of them, crunching. Yeah. One of like, them is the sound boot. of somebody walking through ice, you know, like, Cold, you know, cold, dry snow and the crunching of the snow as I'm the sorry, footsteps. That's terrifying. Who's yeah. sneaking up on you? It, in the car? Was... There's, there's another one, you know, sitting in a cafe. Uh, oh, you know, I didn't which, have that one. Oh yeah, it was, yeah. It's like sitting sitting in a cafe and you have the the noises of you know coffee Ambient. cups tinkling. And, oh. uh, Is everybody one speaking a... Esperanto or something? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. It, it doesn't matter see which that. country you're in. Um, it, it, it was some odd choices. I'll I'll leave it at yes. that. Um, but you know, it's, it's different, you know, it doesn't cost anything to do it. No, um, I mean, it's going to see more of those, those things. Um, and I think that's one of the places, you know, cause the Kia's for a while have always played a little song. And I think that's just sort of the cultural overlap that we're seeing from, from, you know, cars that come from different markets is, uh, people like different things in different places. And, and I think that's one of the things that plays well at home. Um, and, so we just we just get it because it's there and we get to you know the next time around they're going to come up with a way to customize it or something where you can add your own tones or they'll they'll just expand the, <sighs> the palette of tones and um I, i'll have to make it a point to look for that the next time i have a chance because yeah. i forgot but, about it and i didn't test it out you know if if you're if you know if you are not somebody that insists on having a higher right you know higher ride height and a higher h point for your seat um, you know, this is really, you know, either this or the Sonata, you know, I think are yeah. right now they're the class of the, that midsize sedan, a really full-size sedan market. Well, I mean, um, who else is left? <laughs> uh, well, you got the Camry and the Accord well, yeah, and, the, and, the Altima. and the Ultima. <laughs> and no, oh, I, I, Chevy, I, Chevy still makes Malibus. Oh, are they, really? Wow. They killed yeah. the Impala. They killed That's the Impala, awesome. but they still have the Malibu, Malibu for now. For now. Yeah, I mean, Ford's not. Are they still making fusions? I know they're not. No, the fusion production fusion ended stuff. last summer, right? Like in July, June or July, I think. 
they, I think they may still have some on lots for sale. Cause, yeah, because nobody's but, bought stands yeah. lately. But uh, um, yeah, they, they've been out of production for more than six months. So yeah, it's it's basically just the Japanese and the Koreans. I agree. I think if if you don't need an SUV, I think this, you know, if you want, what's fun about the sedan is if you are slogging through traffic on a lot of days, that additional ride height isn't really going to help you because you probably yeah. have an SUV in front of you anyway. And so it's irrelevant. And when, so why when everybody's not everybody's riding high? Nobody's riding exactly, high. Exactly. Right. And so it, but, the, the one, the one place where that ride height can be helpful to some people, you know, like some people that have uh, mobility issues, you know, if you're arthritic, arthritic, you know, have, having a, you know, the seat up a little bit higher can make it easier to get in and out. Absolutely. No, so absolutely. If that's and an also issue, snow, that's, that's legit. You know, if you've got, you know, if you're in areas with heavy snow, because, you know, getting I've got I remember getting stuck at the office in Boston in my mini that was sub up, uh, you know, so I get it. But it's but, you know, a sedan is just fun to drive. It just reminds you of what's fun to drive, you know, why it's fun to drive. And and especially, you know, one of the reasons I talk a lot about the infotainment system is because nowadays people will drive their car just to take a meeting, you know, to get out of the house because mm -hmm. everyone has open concept and kids don't, you know, are all over the place. And so it's just using your car a little bit differently just for some relaxation or to take a meeting or to just get some privacy. So anyway, Dan, what'd you have? I had the GMC. Sam, you're done, right? I didn't mean to uh, oh, yeah. yeah, just it, just okay, wanted sorry. to mention um, the uh, price tag uh, delivered came to thirty two thousand three fifty five. That's oh, a lot so of, right in line. Yeah, that's a lot of sedan for just in the, yeah. the low thirties, yeah. and I think that's that's where the the K five is in its in its sweet spot, you know. And it's it's really it's a high evolution of the art form. Um, so, like you say, the sedan market is off from what it had been, but it's still a real good. Uh, uh, example of of the art form of, of building four doors um which it's not going to go away there's still a market there but um, and and you can you can also get it in the gt with that 2.5 liter that you had in that uh in the yeah. sonata so. which is amazing I, so i worry that the gt might be overkill it might be a little too much and it will expose dynamic flaws that don't get turned up by the smaller engines i just right i Doubt. I don't think that's. I don't. I think that's not likely to be the case. It might be, but I think it's. I think it's probably going to be all right. Yeah, especially have to send us some to try it. Out. Well, when you yeah. think about how good the Genesis G seventy G eighty, yeah. you know how good the Genesis I mean, those, vehicles those are, are. Those are different platforms, so I mean, those are rear drive platforms. But the engineering, though, like yeah. the mindset, though, is still mm -hmm. there. The awareness of things, you know, like you know, overshooting on with the, this engine. So I think we're thinking of the crew at Hyundai, Kia and Genesis. I don't know. I just feel like they're very conscious of those kinds of, of issues potentially. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask for one now, just so I can, <laughs> I can prove my point to myself or, or there you go. myself. Good plan. Wrong. I like it. Um, so yeah, I was driving the 2021 GMC Canyon AT4 in um, appropriate uh, line worker white. So I fit right in with all the work trucks that I think are probably the largest buyer of midsize pickups. Um, it's a crew cab, but man, midsize trucks are just not a good deal. It's tight. <laughs> it's, you know, there's not as much, and I, I know you don't always buy them for space, but uh, you know, you quickly run into, even with kids who are, you know, early teenagers, they run out of space. And when they're was it a crew cab or the, yeah, it was, it was a crew cab. Um, 
but it, it just, you know, I'm constantly having to move the passenger seat up and back to, to give some leg room to my, uh, my 13 year old and he's not that tall. So it's a little bit tight in there. And, and that's sort of the theme overall is it feels really good to drive. It's, it's nice in that compact size sense where it doesn't feel so ungainly sometimes, you know, the, the full size trucks sometimes feel really big, especially the, the ones that I've had lately, the, the heavy duty trucks with the crew cabs and diesels and everything. That's just a lot. So this is a lot more tidy. It's a lot more car like, uh, and it goes down the road really well. It it doesn't, because it's smaller, it doesn't have as much trem, tremulous tremulosity. I don't <laughs> know. It, 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 there's not a lot of vibration to it because it's, it's a smaller, you know, platform. So there's, there's less uh, of that going on. It rides a little softer than the HD trucks. So that probably helped as well. Um, but you know, once you get past those upsides, I have a hard time squaring the, the cost versus the utility. And, and sometimes it's just enough utility. I understand that, but I, I think that it's really hard to get a better deal than a 1500, uh, full size pickup, which will still just about fit most everywhere. They're not as huge as the HDs. So I'm struggling with that. Uh, it, it's a good truck overall. You know, it, it feels, the controls feel good. It's comfortable. It's not like a Tacoma that even with the, the new seating arrangement in the Tacoma, then they changed the driver's seat. So you're not quite a splay leg. I it just, I don't like the Tacoma as much, although it kind of rules this class. Um, the Canyon feels a little better from behind the wheel. It's more friendly. It's more comfortable. The materials are good. The, um, the switch gear all feels solid. It's, pretty easy to operate um it has wireless charging i haven't checked to see if it also has wireless carplay i don't think it does um so i'll I'll fiddle with it though because i know some gm vehicles do uh and it's got the 3.6 liter v6 which is that's a good engine i always forget that it's it's uh been around for so long um but it it, of the 3.6s you know everybody kind of makes a 3.5 3.6 liter v6 across most automakers um that's this one feels particularly energetic, uh, you know, versus the Pentastar or um, what's in the what's in the Tacoma? The Tacoma has the four liter, right? The four liter. Uh, yeah, the, I think so. Yeah, uh, which is tuned a little bit more for torque. So, you know, the powertrain is good. GM does really good powertrains, um, and it's it's a thoughtfully designed truck. It just feels like kind of the same as the Ranger, where they took a truck from another market and dolled it up a little bit for U S market tastes. And it feels that way. <laughs> you can, you know, it still feels like a bargain truck with some gingerbread on it. And, uh, you know, the seats are good. The, the you know, the overall outfitting, I can't really fault, but I'm, I'm just struggling a little bit with the, the value proposition. Well, and that, you know, if you remember back, what a decade, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12 years ago, when Ford discontinued the old Ranger, and everybody was saying, why aren't you giving us a new Ranger? Why aren't you giving us this global Ranger? And, you know, Ford made exactly that case. They said, well, you know, it costs almost as much to build a Ranger as it costs to build an F-150. You right. know, you're getting a lot more truck for your money with the F-150. It's not going to be much more fuel efficient. <laughs> and, you know, and but people still said, we, we want a midsize truck. We want a midsize truck. So GM brought them a midsize truck. Ford brought the Ranger back to the, to North America. 
and said, look, we told you so. Right. And they're, they're right. <laughs> we people were buying them anyway. Them. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the AT4 has some some features that distinguish it from the just sort of standard grade. Uh, I want to say Canyon. Uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. a Canyon. I get them confused with the Canyon in Colorado because they are the same thing. So, um, But with the V6, you've got 308 horsepower. Uh, you can also get the diesel. I didn't, uh, obviously I don't have that, but I really, I would like to try it. It's a 2.8 liter, uh, diesel, which has a lot more torques. It's got 370, 369 pound feet of torque, which I think would make the truck feel a lot different overall. Um, you know, and it, it looks good in AT4 trim. It's got nice wheels. It's got a little more serious, um, uh, Goodyear off-road tires or, or Duro track tires so that it can go, uh, get you stuck somewhere. Um, and it's got red tow hooks because that's a thing now that apparently means um, that you're cool. Yeah, it means that like we are we are rugged. We have <laughs> red hooks, uh, and, and they've um, I, I don't I, I'll have to build it so I don't have the Maroni in in front of me, but um, I think it may have the one inch uh, suspension lift and some skid plates on it. Uh, so they do they set it up to to actually go off road. So it's sort of like half a. Uh, yeah, it's got the suspension leveling kit. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not quite as aggressive as the Colorado ZR2. Right. It's yeah, it's it's a lot more livable than that. Um, but it still can play, I suppose, if that's what you want to do with it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tidy pickup. I like it overall. You know, the the it's not a bad truck. It's but it's just also like thirty eight grand, something like that. But that's actually though, not bad. I mean, that's, yeah, when I had so the, much the one time I had a Ranger, I had a Ranger Lariat. It was like forty three or forty four thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, that's on. crazy. That's crazy. But the, the one thing, though, I will say, I mean, having driven some of these pickup trucks like in a in a suburban urban environment, this is a better size, though. I mean, if you don't need a full size pickup truck. You know, some of those full-size pickup trucks, are, they are enormous. They are. Yeah. yeah, they are. I mean, I got out of the Ford Super Duties, and I think legitimately the hood is taller than me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I like the size, but then, you know, when you think about having a truck and how the utility is supposed to work, you you run out of uh, run out of that capability fast. You know, you, you put normal adults in it, and it's it's uncomfortable. Well, I mean, this is this is why just the other day somebody was asking me, like, what's the best car out there? And I'm like, it depends, because if you do have like if you have a family your size, Dan, a car, a, a vehicle like this is not going to be the best choice. Yeah, which kind of sucks because on paper, it almost looks like it could be right. I don't need an enormous truck. Sometimes I need the open bed to to carry, you know, some stuff. But I, I, I don't ever use the full-size beds to their full capacity, at least not on a regular basis. So if I was going to do a truck, this is a lot more sensible. You know, it's, it's kind of a little bit more efficient, both size-wise and consumption-wise. And it, it'll tuck into any suburban garage, like you said, uh, where there's somewhere. They just... a, a, lot, a lot of them won't fit a full-size truck. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, especially not a, a you know, a 2,500 or a 3,500 or, or, you know, something that big. The 1500s, like a, it, you tend to be able to put the like short, short bed standard cab just about anywhere still. They're not that much bigger. They're a little taller than they had been historically, but overall they're, they're about the same size, but nobody buys those. People buy right. 
crew cabs because you want two thirds of an SUV. You know, you want two two thirds of a, a full size SUV, which makes sense because it's really handy. Uh, and and this is, you know, it's it's like uh, I guess it's the sort of the two thirds of a trailblazer. If you, I'm trying to think of the closest analog for a, a traditional body on frame GM SUV. And that was, that was what the GMT 360s, the, the trailblazer right. and the old just, trailblazers. Yeah. Not the new yeah, ones. Just, yeah. yeah. Not the new one. Um, right. it just feels that, that second row seat in here feels tight and mm. that it's a hard balance too, because the bed's not all that long, but the overall length isn't all that long either because you don't want an ungainly pickup, you know, it makes it hard to maneuver. So I, they've done a really good job with, within the constraints of, the segment i just i think that the segment we have more affinity for this segment in our minds i think than we actually do uh with our pocket yeah, which, yeah our i mean it makes sense they were right when they said hey nobody's gonna buy that and we can't <laughs> we can't make it cheap enough for you the only people who buy cheap trucks like that are you know fleets and that's exactly what we've seen you know they're very popular with fleets and there's some buyers you know there's some market for it but overall i, I can't imagine that they're they're making all that much money on these, especially compared to the full size work where they make all their profit. Well, just, I mean, looking at the range, so the, the 2021 Canyon starts at 26,400 and then the Canyon Denali, which is like the Lariat and the Ranger, almost $45,000. So you can buy two, almost two baseline Canyons for one of the Denali, but that's what, you know, it's a so, bad deal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think when, when people are screaming to bring back smaller trucks, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I think what they actually wanted was maybe not necessarily, well, I mean, obviously a lot of them want this because they're, they're buying these in, in pretty reasonable volumes. But I think what a lot of people actually wanted was a return back to the late 80s and a truck like the one I drove in college. You know, I had an 84 GMC S15 in college. And in those days, you could buy a stripper compact pickup, you know, a, a Ranger or an S10 or S15 you know, with just a, a regular cab, short bed for like $5,000. Yes. Yeah, it had no radio, no Were you air buying conditioning. a lot of strippers in the eighties? I'm just wondering. <laughs> I like I was, I was, I was in college <laughs> <laughs> saying, <laughs> but I mean, you know, a, a base, a baseline, a base pickup. You need truck. the long bed though for the pole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. They're collapsible poles. Um, but, you know, I you should could, have had wine. Uh, I remember, you know, looking at you know the ads in the the Saturday papers. You know, the you know the car dealers. You know, they were all advertising forty nine ninety nine for this base pickup truck. With you know, yeah, it, like I said, it had no stereo in it, no yeah. you know manual crank windows, manual transmission. But you know, it was cheap. It was reliable. You know, it for five years going back and forth to school, it got me back and forth. You know, all, all the time. It was wheels. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it yeah that's about Absolutely. it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, basically, that truck was a Grumman LLV, you know, it, it was pretty much. Like, yeah. Iron Duke, real <laughs> drive. Actually, mine, mine was, I think, 84 was the last year that they still had the, um, the Isuzu 1.9 liter. The oh, next year, the 85s, amazing. they went to the Iron Duke. Uh, but I, so I had the 90 horsepower carbureted Isuzu 1.9 liter That's, and yeah. a four speed manual. What a ball of fire. That's amazing. <laughs> it never caught fire on me. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's, it's true though. Even uh, into the nineties, you know, I think my, my father bought a F-150 XL in like 93. 
And the only options it had, I think, was the, the twin tanks. And so it was the 300 inline six. It was rear wheel drive, five, Mazda five speed, short bed, regular cat. It was like 11.5. So you contrast that now where you, you can't get a new truck for anywhere in the 20s, really. Like you could you could start with an XL, I guess, or the work truck grades, but you they're not. They're not pleasant. And this wasn't a luxurious truck either, but I think our our expectations have changed where people want carpets, not the rubber floor mats. We want, you know, the, the leather seats and all of the, the goodies. And so that pushes the prices up. Um, and so because we, we're using trucks as cars and this is a, it's a compact truck that feels like a compact car. So in that sense, it's I've. I feel like, you know, for the footprint it takes up, I've got to adjust my, my expectations. It's it's not super space efficient, I suppose. It does about the best it can. Um, but it's it's a nice truck. It's just, I, I unless you need the size, you're going to have a better truck in a Silverado or a, a Sierra than, than this. You're going to get more utility out of it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it was gonna be I thought it was gonna be an Odyssey this week too. So when the 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 Canyon shop I was like, oh that's cool, it's a truck. You get some stuff done. I did I still haven't pulled the footings. Uh so we'll see if I can pull the footings. Oh, you should this. have done that last week when you had the, the two fifty diesel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um it's been cold. I've been lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So we've got some guests joining us today from from the, our listeners. Um, you guys want to chime in and you got some questions or you want to tell us what you guys drive? Dave. Sure, I'll I'll start. Sure. So, uh, well, I, before I jump in, I think I, I wanted to say something, but, you know, we're, we're here to listen to you guys talk when you were talking about the card and you were going on and on about yes. what it's for and why are they doing it. So I can give you two reasons why they're doing it. Okay. So, um the one, the one, this one would just be a cheap shot, but note that <laughs> Tesla does it, right? So it is a very trendy thing Excellent to do. Excellent point. Okay. But I think, I think more to the point, it is way cheaper to print two RFID cards and provide them instead of keys and fobs. That's true. Yeah, I think we'll see the fob go away and the app become ubiquitous. And the key, like the fob will go the same place as the, as the steel key, as the lock on the passenger door. It, it'll go. <laughs> yeah those are good points yeah. that's well that's I, I agree i think the fob will go away um but I, and i think eventually they're not even going to print the cards they're going to rely on our phones uh going to be phone you know, yeah bmw just announced um 
on the uh, on the IX, their their new electric crossover. Uh, it's going to be the first implementation of the ultra wideband um, digital key uh, technology. So the um, the iPhones, the new iPhone 12s, have uh, an ultra wideband chip in them, and you know it's a it's a newer um, wireless technology that's more secure than Bluetooth. Um, you know, it gives you very precise positioning mm. information. And so, um, it's going to, you know, you'll be able to use your, use your phone with that. And also, uh, Samsung, um, <clears throat> the new, the latest generation, uh, Samsung galaxy phones have an ultra wideband chip in them as well. Yeah. I, I found, I found the card a very easy way to borrow a friend's car. It was very low friction and yes, it does fit nicely in the wall. It just comes out, it taps on the B post and back in your wallet until you've paired with the car. Anyways, so onto the garage. So I have uh, I have three vehicles, all of them manuals. So I get to claim that, but I have a, I have a 2009 Wrangler uh, Unlimited, so the four door, and it's got about 260,000 kilometers on it. And I've got a Mazda 5. So that's, uh, that's, all, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's a 2008. And that, that only has about 140,000 kilometers on it. Oh, practically That's new. a very Canadian choice. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, and Dan, you know, some es- esoteric trivia for you. In Canada, you can get the GT model with, with the manual. Excellent. We had the manual here for a very short time. I remember driving one as a press car. And I think I drove it like the same day they came out and announced that they were no longer selling it. With the <laughs> <laughs> cutting, cutting edge. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and then Sam, this one's for you. So I, I, I grew tired of listening to people talking about their cars and I finally pulled the trigger and I bought myself a project 1990 Miata. Excellent. <gasps> That's amazing. So it, it has a, uh, it, it's, it's in the garage with the fenders and the hood pulled off it and getting a new timing belt right now. <laughs> And uh, I'm I'm currently shopping for some nice five millimeter drills to drill out a, more than a couple uh, broken off fender bolts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what's sitting in my garage. What color is it? It is white. Oh, okay, mine mine was originally white. It's it's wrapped right now in in a silver silvery gray color. Um, but at some point, I'd I'd like to either. When the when the wrap needs to be replaced, I'm either gonna I'm gonna either get it painted or get it rewrapped in something as close as I can find to Mariner blue. Ah, that's nice. the color nice. I always wanted. So this is my first foray into a project car. So we'll see how it goes. And uh, it's 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 no uh, it's n- nothing pristine, but it's doing pretty well for rust for its age and being a Canadian vintage vehicle. And uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Right if. If I put the if I put the time and love into it, then I'll, maybe I'll earn myself something a little nicer and better quality. <laughs> it's it's had some love. It's had some younger buyers at some point along its way. As I'm pulling the fender off, like, oh, this isn't the same color underside, and there's lots of fasteners missing up here. <laughs> we should have you on when you as you make progress, though. It'd be fun to hear about it. <laughs> oh, like we should do a, lot, a feed from the garage. You know, right? The, the interesting cool. um, phrases for curse words that you can. Use. <laughs> <laughs> Who did this? Who was here before? Yeah. We don't have to yeah, worry about yeah, not they, safe for work anymore because everyone's working from you know, home <laughs> we, we are in uh we're in a uh an updated emergency lockdown right where we're under additional encouragement not to go not to leave the house and i tell you there's nothing more frustrating than going in starting a project and it's like damn it i need a puller <laughs> and it's like yeah. 
Well, you're not, you can't just drive to the local store and go in and shop. No, you have to like browse through their website, click order, then get a phone call saying they don't have it. All this nonsense, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. All right. So, Who's next? What else? Yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you want to know? What do you drive? What do I drive? I drive, let's see, I have a 2012 Mazda Speed 3. Okay. That I bought. Yeah, Mazda Torque Tor- steer for the win. Torque steer, 150,000 miles. Still, still goes. Still doesn't burn too much oil. Burned I mean, I put, I put roof racks on it. I put everything on it. I mean, I put a, I put some money down. I put what do you call it? The hundred dollar deposit for a Bronco next year. We'll see if nice. I get that. But if the, if the Mazda keeps going, we'll keep it. And then my girlfriend has a 2015. Uh, I think it's a W205 is the C400 Mercedes formatic, which All was right. kind of a rare car. Cause it was a one year only. Um, Cause after that they discontinued the C400 and then they called it the C450 AMG. And now I think they call it the C43 AMG. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Basically a C43 with, without the, the bits and that thing's a blast. And then of course, I don't have any project cars because I'm not allowed. She to. has a Mercedes, <laughs> so she has by well, no, nature Mercedes, a project car. You know what the best yeah, is? Yeah, you've man. got one, you don't know it. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, we had a 204 before it, and I gotta tell you, these. I mean, I come from owning a, you know half a dozen BMWs before this, and the 204 and the 205. I mean, they're they're pretty solid cars. I, I can't really complain about them too. I mean, there's little things, you know, like you know, the, the buttons are peeling and stuff like that, you know, standard European car stuff. But yeah. I mean, mechanically they're, they're solid. Um, yeah. That's, that then, was my experience too, with the, the Volvos just like you have all the, the little things that tend to break that aren't really that difficult and they're, they're high quality pieces. So you wind up fixing it because the rest of the car is decent. Yeah. Um, and it, it was funny. I, I started off earlier in quarantine. I was like, I want a Ben's wagon. And so oh, yeah. looking around we've, for we've been going through this Odyssey lines. with Dan for the last six yeah. months. And then, and then I decided that I wanted to no, know. I really want, I want to pick up because, well, because the summer came and we wanted to tow a travel trailer, which didn't happen. But, you know, can't remember, can't, which one is it? It's the 126, the 560 SECs. That's from the right. late 80s. Those are yeah. really popular. Very popular in Southern California right that now. Is, I'm telling yeah. you, those are on the uptick. So that's the cocaine bends, yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> bring a trailer, you know, Benz. Bring a trailer, yeah. Doug Miro. Very, very, very yeah. popular car in Southern California. And then the girlfriend also has a '94 Mustang GT, five liter convertible, five speed. Five nice. liter. Last year of that the she bought new and she will never sell. So yeah. that's that's my project car. That's that's a good one because uh, that's I that's the car I test drove when I was yep. in high school. Uh, <laughs> which i used to hate i hated that car and now that i drive it i'm like this car is actually you know it's not fast and it's it rattles a five liter in california though yeah what is that like, like? <laughs> um you know i mean it gets okay gas miles but we don't drive it that much you know we put the top down and go to the beach and yeah dogs in the back and it's kind of just fun you know it's i don't really want to you know i thought about modifying it i thought about you know, doing coyote swap and all this. And I'm like, no, let's just leave it as is. It's, it's fun. It's kind of like a time capsule. Like I kind of understand those guys with the sixties Porsches, you know, with the low mileage, they're like, they go back and I'm like, this is what it was like, you know? And it's, it's not, it's not going to win any races or anything, or I'm not going to take it on any, you know, it's not like a Miata. I'm not going to take it on any Canyon runs, but 
Well, you know, th- those those Mustangs were a little on the flexible side, you know, exactly. when, when you cut the top off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if you left it on, it didn't cut oh, it Yeah, it didn't do much. <laughs> um, well, no, I, mean, I, I, had, I had a 91 5-liter LX that I bought when I graduated, um, and it was the, the notchback. I mean, that thing, was, that thing was solid. And, yeah, it was, it was a fun car. And the reason I bought the, the notchback was it was actually the lightest variant. Right, Sam. Yeah, it was like 150 pounds or almost 200 pounds lighter than the GT hatchback. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was it was a hoot and it actually got pretty decent mileage. I mean, you know, driving on the highway, you could get, you know, 25, 26 miles per gallon with that. Well, thing. I mean, after all, it was the economical Fairmont. Um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, I, I like the idea of just like kind of leaving it as is, you know, because it, it's still satisfying. It's it's everything around it is it can perform better, but that sure. doesn't mean you can't enjoy what it, what it does. It still has yeah. that wave of torque that the 302 had. And, uh, you know, it st- sounds good. It's top oil down. dripping That's... from the rocker covers, you know, things like <laughs> <You> that. <know. laughs> the, the, the sweet smell of it burning <laughs> off the, uh, the headers. Uh, Why isn't that one of the nature sounds in, in the Kia the drip, the drip oil. of oil on the rocker panel? Burning <laughs> oil. Yeah. All right. Smell. So Ben, cool. Ben, what do you, what do you have? Well, Sam, I have to tell you, my college ride was the 85 Ranger. Oh, nice. So it was the last Ranger with the carburetor, which was fun. And you had the carburetor icing, which I always enjoyed in the wintertime. Was that the Motorcraft Uh, 2800? That was the, yes, the two barrel. God, I hated that carburetor. (laughs) (laughs) Always iced up, stalled out, throw in the clutch crank the, the truck again, take off again. So th- that was always fun. And um, it had the uh, V6, the, the German 2.8 V6 that oh, we used. Nice. The cold, the, yeah. the two thermostats, yeah. Yeah, crazy <laughs> um, truck. And then, 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 Dan, I had the 94 F-150 with the 300 six-cylinder um, nice. that you referenced. Um, also, a crazy idiosyncratic kind of um, engine in that thing too and then um now i have a fusion i drive a 2009 fusion with the v6 ford man excellent yes absolutely <laughs> and it is it's kind of funny my wife had the if, i don't remember dan if you remember the um chris shunk mobile in the auto blog podcast was the freestyle Oh yes! Oh yeah! Wow! Family. I forgot about his freestyle. Wow! The freestyle, <laughs> which my wife had a freestyle for several years. We put one hundred fifty thousand miles on a freestyle a f- with that. DVD. Um, was it a Ford? Like the old? Yeah, yeah. it was. Like- it was the crossover that they the first crossover they did cross crossover wagon. They eventually re uh, after oh, when they did the midcycle right. refresh, they rebadged as the Taurus X. That's yeah. right. Yes, I remember that. Wow! It basically oh, turned yes. into the. Um, Eventually turned into the same basic thing, turned into the Explorer. Um, yeah. And, and the Flex. Yeah. The Flex, I was going to say. Yeah. That first the same platform. The Explorer looked very much like a freestyle, just kind of beefed up. Yeah. yeah. And the freestyle, the freestyle had the CVT, if it I recall. Did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me very nervous at 150,000 miles with the CVT. So we started looking last year for something to replace that. And it's kind of a hoot. But the thing we found was a, um, Lincoln MKT, which oh, nice. is a similar kind of, it's same platform, I believe. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
And um, great interior. I love the interior in that. And it's a really kind of a crazy, kind of a crazy car, also. But we have, it's a 2014, but it only had 28,000 miles on it. It had been in a fleet. Wow. And so we got a, a pretty good deal on that. And is it the, black? Oh, of course. Of course, the sparkle. Oh, you know, the glitter. <laughs> Literally. I just want to make sure that it's all, all is right in the world. Uh, oh, you got the, the crystal black with the, it's got the little glass beads in the paint. The uh, tuxedo yeah. black is what they called it. Tuxedo yes, black. Yes, that's it. That's tuxedo black. That, and it has that was a great color. The big two, the two moon roofs in it and the, the EcoBoost, which is a hoot. The 3.5 EcoBoost in that yeah. car. I mean, it, you know, we've got this hill, kind of a rural two lane. And you get to the, the hill with the passing lane, you know, nothing, we, nothing will pass you on that. You can <laughs> just, you know, the EcoBoost, just, just forget it. That's yep. awesome. And where are you located, Ben? I'm in Georgia. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, that's so the MKT is, it's funny. I, I really like the interior in it and uh, driving it was, was always pretty decent. That is the one press car I've ever had where somebody left me a note about how ugly it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the most graceful, but right. it's unusual. It's comfortable. Yes. The whole baleen grill thing is a little bit weird. Yeah. The whale. But well, I always, I always preferred the flex myself. Uh, I, I still, I still really like the flex. My mother has a flex. There's several of them in my neighborhood here. So anyway, I guess we're for Ford family. There you go. But I'm about an hour north of the Kia plant. Oh, are you? Here in Georgia. And I work for a technical college. And we have a partnership with Kia there to supply some of their skilled trades. So I was actually able to tour the plant and see the amazing assembly line area there in the Kia plant, which was, it took me about a week just to get over all that. It was astounding. Well, so yeah, like what, how was it different from your expectations of what an assembly plant is like? Well, they make, at that point, they were making the the Optima and the Sorento on the same, in the same plant. So I had in my mind, I guess, you know, they're going to run half a day of Optimus and they're going to throw the switch and they'll, they'll run a half a day of Sorentos or however they do it. That's not the way they did it at all. They had just the assembly line was just completely mixed, all yeah, into fully integrated, same time. And the the bodies came from this way. The engine transmissions are coming from another plant this way. And then at some point they turn these so they line up with this, and they just all fit together. And I'm <laughs> in order, and the interior comes in order, and the carpet. And the logistics, it was it was just mind blowing to see how all that comes together. Yeah, and and con- to consider that all of those pieces, like the engines came from 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 korea to to wind up there at the right time well they came from montgomery actually they, the, the engines came from montgomery. but they have a hyundai plant in montgomery kia plants in west point georgia and they swap out engine transmissions like they use the same yeah yeah That's, and so it's, it was, i mean it's it's always amazing going into a modern assembly plant and you know, the orchestration that has to happen to get all of the parts Yes, coming is. to the line in the right sequence at the right time, you know, it's like for that, whatever was ordered, you know, to get the right color seats, you know, at, in the right sequence for that particular yep. car, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, the, that they can make that happen uh, with, on, with any degree of consistency is, is amazing. And, 
you know, it, it's, it's no wonder, you know, when you, that you look at a, a new manufacturer yeah. like Tesla, that they've struggled so much with that. And, you know, for other manu- you know, more experienced manufacturers, it's a, it's a really hard thing to do. Manufacturing is tough. They have all these suppliers around in the area and they have almost no inventory at the Kia plant, all that yeah. stuff. And just exactly when they need it. And it's all in, in the truck in the order that they need, you know, backwards. So that when they take it off, it comes out the right way to match up the cars that are coming down the line. I mean, it's just the whole yeah. thing. Like I said, it took me about a week just to get over the experience <laughs> of going through the plant. Yeah. It's that, that's the just in time kind of Toyota production system sort of thing. And it's great most of the time. Um, but what happens and we're seeing it now with the chip shortages, if, if something gets out of sync within the suppliers, it grinds the whole thing to a halt. They can't right. make cars if they don't have the parts, they don't have any stock, you know, there's no inventory. So nobody wants wait. to pay for inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Inventory is expensive. That's true. Yeah. Well, it, it's expensive. And you know, if there's, you know, if there's a manufacturing problem with any component along the way, you know, then you end up with a huge stock of parts that you have to scrap, yep. you know, whereas when you're running just in time, you know, you find those problems quickly and you get them resolved, you know, before you've built a bunch of cars that you, hopefully before you built a bunch of cars that you have to right. then go back and fix. Well, and then you've got the supplier yeah. park too, right around yeah. you. So um, the, the one of the things they do too is put the, the quality step, you know, quality assurance on the supplier. So they'll just go choke the supplier instead of, you know, like you guys need to fix this and eat it, not us. So it's just, it's interesting. The, the numbers are, are staggering to the, to the normal person when you add it up. So if you, if you look at a, a modest plant that's making 1,000 cars a day, if there's $10,000 worth of content in each one of those cars, so you're sitting on at least $10 million of inventory a day. And it's yeah. probably much closer to 50. And you've probably got 10 days of inventory flow in the immediate areas coming in. And the better part of 20 or 30 days is you go out all the way to the ends of the supply chain. So if you mm-hmm. start adding up the amount of money in terms of working capital, it's, it's big numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, it and, like which is why Wall Street doesn't like the industry. Yeah. <laughs> but the industry, well, uh, you know, that's... Well, they love parts of it. Yeah, well, the, yeah. They, they love the tech parts of it. Right. They, they like the uh, irrational exuberance parts of it. Like, that's what kills me. It's like the companies that actually make stuff, that have assets, they have plants, they have workforces, they, they have um, you know, all of the sort of old line automakers have that model. Their stocks are, what are they? They trade at like, I don't know, 50 bucks or less. And then you've Much got- less. Much yeah. less. And then yeah. you've got these, these upstarts that have a flashy idea. And they have insane. No, they have hope and right. dreams. But they have an and insane a cult of personality. <laughs> they don't have any like the actual. And it, so it's it's upside down to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like wait, they don't have anything. Like so, if, when you think about it, as uh, you know, I'm not an analyst, but I look at it and go, well, if that business goes under, they don't have anything of value to liquidate. Versus, you know, GM, if they go bankrupt, they have assets to liquidate. So there's there's actual physical value there versus a, a lot of these, you know, sort of EV mm-hmm. companies that are starting up that just. Well, they're, they're valued on their future growth and their future values. 
That's whatever that might be, right? Yeah. I wish I could have gone through college on my future value. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, I think they call that a student loan. A student loan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of of hopes and dreams and companies such as, do we want to talk about our Tesla recall? Sure. sure. Um, <laughs> we, had, we had an email that came in um, from uh, Adam Jekowenko. Um, says, uh, Hey, all, if you're looking for a topic to discuss on the show, I'd love to hear you take on this story. The way I read it is basically there's a safety issue with these cars referring to Tesla that will inevitably fail. NHTSA is rec- recommending a recall or a free replacement. And instead, uh, customers have been getting charged $2,500 now $1,500 for the pleasure of getting a safety pro- pro- a safety problem fixed in their cars under the guise of it being an upgrade because it adds karaoke and Netflix. Uh, but it also completely removes AM, FM, and Sirius radio functionality. What? Uh, so what uh, What Adam's referring to here is the uh, Tesla Model S and the Model X uh, model years 2015 to 18. Uh, and, you know, these, these vehicles all have this giant 17-inch touchscreen in the center console. And the what they what tesla calls the media control unit which is the computer that drives this thing um is failing on many of these cars and it will eventually fail on pretty much all of them because the you know one you know one of the unique things about tesla until now unique. Has, That's nice. has been <laughs> you know that they do these over-the-air updates on a regular basis you know so they send out software updates to your car that gives you new functionality like karaoke and fart sounds and you know netflix um and you know that's all well and good but you know the thing is to do that you've got to have flash memory in that media control unit in that computer flash memory it typically only has a certain limited number of write cycles depending on the type of flash memory that could be 100 write cycles it could be a million write cycles um, and you know, the flash that can take more write cycles is more expensive. Right. Tesla in their infinite wisdom opted to use the cheapest possible kind of flash memory in the MCU. And, um, so because Tesla sends out software updates well, about every four to six weeks or so, uh, they've basically worn out the flash memory in these things. And when that happens, now the screen goes dead because the, the they've basically bricked that computer that drives it. So again, poor design thinking. Yes. Why? Why didn't they just put like, I mean, can't you just put an SD card in it? And so, oh yeah, the flash memory is dead. I just swap in the new SD card. You're good to go. Actually, you get that kind of failure with an SD card. Yeah. This right. is the, that in a Raspberry the, Pi. the repeated log file writing does that. Right. Yeah. I know. But like, um, if it's if it's, it's something that's they like they use hard, the same kind of flash that's on cheap SD cards. But if it's hardwired into the car, then now they've got to replace the whole thing, right? Versus just a dealer. Oh, they don't have dealers anymore. Or they so, could just use a different type of flash, different type of true. NAND flash that and, that is designed yeah. for more write cycles. Yeah, and the re- the reason why NHTSA wants them to recall 158,000 vehicles is because this is a safety issue because they, uh, you know. Cars today are required to have a backup camera and the backup, the display from the backup camera shows up on that center screen. If that computer dies, it can't display the backup camera. And there's also some other information that it displays that is required. And so NHTSA is telling them you've got to recall these cars and 
Tesla is pushing back and saying, no, we don't want to recall them. And, and, you know, they're charging customers, you know, they had been charging them in, in some cases as much as $3,000 to replace the computer uh, with a newer model. Uh, they've, they've cut that price now to 1500, but you know, they still don't want to do a recall, which they should be doing. Well, Nissan can force them to do a recall, which uh, they can. They they haven't yet, but they they can they can make it uh, mandatory. Yeah, you know, what you know the process is they typically go to them and say, hey, you need to do this voluntarily, right? And you know if you don't, then you know we'll we'll make it mandatory, right? And it's very expensive when they when they get to that point well, where Nissan is forcing a recall, and that's we haven't seen that as much in the last twenty years where there's that that kind of regulatory action usually because automakers don't, they don't want that egg on their face. They'll, they'll either quietly fix problems with a, you know, the service bulletin or mm-hmm. they'll, they're more publicly announce that there's a problem and take care of it. Uh, they don't, they don't want to get to the point where NITS is making them do it. That's, that's, yeah. that's not good. Where would they do these repairs? And where do you serve? I sounds remedial, and I'm the queen of remedial, as um, Harold Combs has <laughs> pointed out. But um, <laughs> where? But seriously, like where? Don't where would Tesla? In a, in a yeah, Tesla branded, uh, they come to you they, with a t- they, Tesla branded. That is works. not scalable. They, they they have they do have some service centers. They have about a hundred service centers around the country, <clears throat> and um, you know they have mobile. They can do mobile service. You know they can send somebody out to do it in your driveway. Um, and you know, I mean, Grant, this is some, this is a repair they can they can do from the mobile trucks. It's not like replacing a battery. Okay, so how uh, long would the repair take? Would you think if they did it uh, at your home? Probably a couple hours. A couple hours. Yeah, it's like swapping yeah. a head unit, right? You pop the old one out, pop the new one in, initialize yeah. it or whatever, copy yeah. whatever stuff you have. You know, that, that is not a scalable solution, no. though. I mean, look how long it takes AAA to get to you. Yeah, well, but manual I mean, labor stock, never scales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. When, when your stock is worth, uh, what's their stock worth right now? Uh, <laughs> their market cap right now is a little over eight hundred billion dollars. Right. So just so they're, sell they're worth sell? they're they're worth more than the next ten automakers combined. Well, sort of. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, their their market cap is right. ten, more than the next ten automakers. Um, so combined. they just have to sell a little stock today. And they can pay that labor force. Yeah. I well, I mean, they've do, they've done two stock sales in the last year for five billion dollars each. So they've raised ten billion dollars in capital in the last ten months. Promptly went into the furnace. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, they they should have the cash. Um, you know, there's there's no, there's no excuse. I mean, they, it's 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 unconscionable for Tesla to be charging people for this repair. You know, for something that is clearly a design defect. Well, and this is different than the, the issue with the screens, right? This is this is not the same as the touchscreens that die, right? Right. This is this is this. Yeah, this is not actually the screen itself. It's the computer that drives the screen. So the screens themselves is, is a whole separate issue. Because they had been replacing those free of charge and for a while with new ones, and then then they were doing refurbs and yeah, yeah. So it seems like that whole center screen thing is an issue. Um, when you try to get around the the need to use automotive grade uh, hardware, yeah. Um, well, I mean, when when they launched the Model S, there was nobody in the industry that was making a 17 inch automotive grade touchscreen display, and mm-hmm. so they they sourced one you know that was being used for some kind of industrial application, and you know then they started failing. You know, 
you know, the, the adhesives that hold it all together were, you know, it was heating up and the, the adhesives was leaking into it and you were getting this yellow tinge to it. It was, it was not good. Yeah. So, well, I, it doesn't, I would be livid if uh, this happened to me with my car. I mean, I had to replace an alternator on one of the Volvos. It was like 800 bucks. And, and I was upset about that. It's like alternators never fail. Why did the alternator fail? You should pay for the, and it, it was a thing I wound up eating. Um, but they, they did fix the thousand ball thousand dollar electronic throttle body. Um, you know, cause it's the same kind of thing. It's like, this is your problem. Not mine as an owner. I bought your thing. It's a safety issue. It's a design issue. You need to fix it. Um, yeah, but early, but the mindset of the early adopter, especially the Tesla owner, is that they see themselves as part of this solution, that they are the beta testers. And, and part of the privilege of being an early adopter is that you then are somehow part of this. You have the privilege of being part of this solution. It's a, it's, I mean, that's why there's, it's a thing almost like Except very low. With most beta tests, you're not paying for it. I well, agree with you. Also, I'm not, like, <laughs> I, I will, I will accept like the, the inconvenience for the thrill of being a beta tester. Like that's fine. But the cost of it really needs to be borne it's by crazy. The well, that's what. So just before we started, I asked Sam, I was like, I just I, I there's a couple of things I don't really understand about this. Yeah. The idea of, you know, that you're charging your customers anywhere from fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars after you've purchased the car. I mean, you've already bought the thing and then right. you add so much cost to it. And then also, and I feel really old when I'm asking this, but I don't understand how it's a benefit that AM, FM and XM are going away. How it's is not. that like, It's but that's part of the, one of the up, updates. Well, well, I mean, let's, well, let, right. This, you're charging them more to give them less, which is, that's bad. Well, um, actually, uh, Teslas have never had AM radio. Okay, they've fair enough. BMWs only, don't either. Yeah. They don't? No, BMW get away with AM. Why would you not have AM radio? AM is so entertaining. On 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 Teslas, they didn't do it because um, oh, there's too much there's too too much EMI, too much electromagnetic interference on the car, and they couldn't get it to work reliably. Oh, how funny! That makes sense. Uh, But (laughs) somehow, every other manufacturer of of EVs, like GM and Ford and everybody else, still has AM radio in their cars. Well, I mean, the the lead shielding you have to put around all the stuff gets expensive. Uh, the AM is, is it's, that's the, like my classic way to stay awake on the long nighttime drive. So tune in Canada on AM. Um, but uh, I, it's probably, it's not that much of a loss to lose serious. I mean, I, I think that you could, you could pull that up on your, your app and you could probably do the same with some of the, the FM stations. And most people aren't really listening to terrestrial radio, which I, I think I have I have feelings about that, but uh, I, I also feel like that's almost a safety issue because you're going to get your live like local weather and whatever. And if there's a problem, you know, that's sort of the public service mission of broadcasters is to just fill that that gap when when there's an information need that's not all the time. Mm. But uh, maybe there's a way to serve that because we get emergency alerts on our phones and stuff now, too. But, but very local. But that. That localized information. Yeah. And I, I yeah. say not everybody has a phone, but every Tesla owner has a phone, probably a high-end yeah, phone sure. because they're... They need it to get in their car. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I keep well, forgetting. It only, work, like, it only works if you have a signal. This, but this is the problem, too. I, I'm the, the self-described man of the people, and then I realize that Teslas are not for the little people. So all of my concerns kind of go out the window because it's a, it's a premium car for premium people. So, well, let, let me ask you this about, about, about Tesla, right? So it, it is a very hot button topic, right? Either you love it or you hate it or you're not paying attention to it, right? And it gets a lot of attention one way or the other. And as a manufacturer, to the best of my knowledge, they don't participate in a lot of the industry studies and you know fact checking and data collection that you'd get, whether it's like JD Powers and things of that nature. And so is there good industry data to talk about things like IQS from a Tesla um, that to actually put apples to apples? Because yes, there's lots of anecdotal or you know people on the internet raging about problems, and there's also a lot of people screaming how much they love their car. And you know, I, I I'd love to see some actual data about things like the IQS or months in service problems with with those vehicles to actually understand is this car just like a you know uh, something out of a North American auto plant from the late '80s in terms of like what they're like, or does it just feel like that because of the echo chamber that just amplifies all of the different opinions? So um, with IQ, you know, with surveys like IQ JD Power's IQS and their their uh, long-term durability or reliability survey, um, you know, to get that data. Uh, you know, they send out surveys to consumers and they get the addresses of vehicle owners um, from the manufacturers. You know, the manufacturers pr provide provide that uh, information, that contact information so they can reach out. Um, and it varies by state whether they the, whether the actually they get it from the uh, DMVs, not from not from the vehicle, uh, not from the manufacturers, but. In some states, the manufacturers have to approve the release of that data. And it, it, most manufacturers say, yeah, go ahead. We, we want to be included in this survey. And so, you know, they send it out to, you know, sampling of the owners, you know, in across all states. Tesla refuses to participate in any of those kinds of surveys, any of those external surveys. And so uh, J.D. Power is able to reach out to owners they've, they've done the surveys to owners in about i think last year it was 22 states is what they said <clears throat> and they don't because they you know it's less than half of the states they don't include them in the official rankings but last year for the first time they did actually reference some of the tesla data that they got um, and then there's also consumer reports um, you know they um, they have their members fill out the the surveys and so, you know, they've got the, they've got the data that way. Um, both of those, um, Tesla is much worse than average. It, you know, they're near at or near the bottom generally in terms of quality and reliability. They have a lot more issues than other manufacturers. So to answer your question, yes, it is much more akin to something coming out of a North American vehicle plant in the 1980s than in 2020 or 2021. Yeah, I would say like late seventies. Maybe yeah. they've gotten better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when when Sandy Monroe did his first uh, teardown of a Model Three uh, three years ago when it first came out, you know, before they started the teardown, just doing a walk around of the car, looking at it, 
you know, you can, you can still find the video online with him and uh, John McElroy, you know, and Monroe, uh, described it as having the the quality of a of an early 1990s Kia, you know the build yeah. quality of an early 1990s Kia, which was not a good car in those days. Right. Well, modern I mean, modern Kias and Hyundai's are great, but a 1990s Kia was a scary car to be around. Well, he he and they just updated that with another uh, Model Three. Yeah, he just got a brand new well. one, and um, the the body gaps are still not. It's not great. The, better, yeah. but it's still much worse than what you typically yeah. find on a modern vehicle. That, that's a whole other story that um, the dust up about stock ownership and, and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, uh, Monroe just uh, on Twitter um, revealed that he actually had bought a bunch of Tesla stock and made a ton of money on yeah. it. And uh, that just happened to coincide with uh, somewhat of a change in the attitude, you know, in his descriptions right. of Tesla stuff. And, and granted, some of the, the optics aren't great there. Yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, te Tesla has done some very interesting engineering and they've, they've done some really cool stuff in the way they design their cars. Uh, you know, especially around their electrical architecture is, is really interesting. Um, and the rest of the industry is moving in that direction now. Uh, but, you know, just the fundamentals of how you actually put it all together they still haven't wrapped their heads around that. I mean, they still have, you know, far and away the worst paint finishes on, on any modern car, you know, very thin paint, very easy to scrape off. Uh, you know, it peels off regularly. You know, you find parts that, you know, especially like rear bumpers that on the, the model three and the model Y, the, the way the rear bumper cover is designed, you know, when, if you're driving in the winter time or even in heavy rain, you know, the water will collect up under the rear, the bumper cap, or snow will collect under there and the weight of that will cause it to fall off. You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous stuff. Well, they, they, they don't take advice and guidance and lessons learned because they're the men, right? Like even how they set up the factory where it wasn't a secret that it's easier to hand put in insulation. That's why they do that. And they're like, Oh, this robot can do it, but no, it actually couldn't do it. So, but they're not really good at learning vicariously. And now I do think though that I like having a company like Tesla in the industry because I think they push us. Mm -hmm. I think they make they they do they you know they really think outside the box. They do crazy things. Sometimes it's really stupid, but it, it is still I think important in an industry that is has a lot of legacy issues with it that we have somebody that thinks so far out. I you know it's people ask you know oh well you know electric cars are so popular now because of Tesla. I'm like no, people are buying a Tesla. It happens to be an electric car, but they are buying into Elon Musk's dream, and that is what and people want to be part of his world and you know if if god forbid something happens to him i just don't see tesla continuing like apple was able to transition with tim cook because obviously you know we knew that steve jobs was ill and and it was more you know established but it's just it's it's a really you know building a company around a person a car company around one character, any, any big company, any big company. You know, I was telling somebody, uh, you know, I, I said, when you think about these newer companies coming up, but like 
Think about Nike. We don't think about the guy that started Phil Knight. Was that his name? Mm-hmm. Yep. Phil Knight. Right. We don't think about him. We think about Nike. And that is, if anything, you think about Michael Jordan. And that's a, that's a super interesting analogy because, um, you know, like Tesla started off with their own sort of bespoke version of a uh, Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. Nike was importing Tiger running shoes, <laughs> slapping a brand on it and, and selling them. Um, so. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, no, it's okay. No, saw the it's just interesting. I mean, it's it's. I think that you know, again, I I there's definitely a lot of issues with Tesla. There's no doubt, but I am grateful that they're in the industry because I think they do push us. Oh yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I, and I think you know to to play out the Apple analogy a little bit. Um, I I don't worry so much about uh, somebody replacing. Elon Musk at the, as the figurehead of that company, what makes the cars great? Cause they are, they're, they're truly innovative. That's going to continue. And very much like there's a contingent of people who are very loyal to Apple hardware. I'm, I mean, I'm on a MacBook pro right now and I, my, when I need to replace my production machines, um, I'm looking at, at Mac pros and stuff as my first stop, not because other solutions don't exist. They do. Um, and there's lots of actually other very clever ways to, to, to fill the same need for a lot lower cost. And it's just that there's, this is a known quantity. I know that I'm going to get X amount of quality, X amount of user experience, and it's going to cost me more, but I'm also going to get 10 years of life out of that thing. Um, that I'm not necessarily going to get from another similar product. And, uh, so some of the quality issues, I think the owners are very forgiving and they can solve them. It's not, it's not the end of the company. The fact that their paint sucks, that they can't bolt a unibody together correctly. You can fix that. Uh, what you can't really necessarily fix is that engineering culture that they have, that they have now pulled the rest of the industry into, um, which is interesting because I think you can turn the rest of the industry into more clever engineering faster than you can, um, get them to to learn those actual car building skills that they've already got. So we'll see who who wins in the end uh in in the race and we'll see if they they actually wind up ever turning a profit. Um Tesla they've they've they played with the books a little bit too much for my taste. I, I feel like there's a lot of shadiness going on there. Um and and it's time, you know, they've been around for over 10 years, 15 years. It's time for you to act like a legit business, not a startup where everything is a complete mess. A lot of people it should don't be interesting care, over the next. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Right. No, you go ahead, Pasha. You, you haven't said much. I want to hear what you have I was to just going to say, living in Southern California, where one out of four or one out of five cars I see on the road is a Tesla, a lot of people just don't care. Like, they yeah, don't care. You know, they got out of an A6 or they got out of that least three series or that five series, and the Tesla is the new hotness, or, you know, it's. You know, they get the carpool sticker and they don't care that it costs $3,000 to repair a screen or, you know, to them, it's, it's the new appliance. It's not a, you know, it's, it's, right. it's also, you know, as Re- I, this is like the Rebecca factor, you know, like <laughs> the Tesla is definitely a status symbol in Southern California. Definitely. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, G63 and whatever, all this stuff. Yeah, that's great. But if you could have a, you know, not only a Tesla, but like you get a custom wrap on it or you get wheels or you get whatever. I mean, that's definitely that says something about you, you sure. know. Well, and, and demographically, though, so the people who are those early adopters and who can uh, put up with that stuff, 
can af- afford yeah. to put up with it. You know? And they've got yeah, another car. Absolutely. They've got a second car. another car, exactly, <laughs> well, right. And so I think that's what's kept us out of seeing that $35,000 Model 3 that they actually sure. offered, for at least close to it. Theoretically. When you, when you get down to that price level, that car has to be absolutely flawless. Perfect. Yeah. It does, for sure. So, I mean, Dave, what were you going to say? Well, I can say the, the quality is a statistic, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of Teslas out there that don't have problems. And if you're one of those people, it is a joy of a car to drive. You know, I borrowed my buddy's performance M3 for 10 days. And you know, granted, I, I came out of a Jeep and another 12-year-old <laughs> car, right? So I take that for what it's worth, right? But it, it was the most relaxing vehicle I had driven in a long time. It was mm. just smooth, effortless power. Um, it was nice to be able to just come home and plug it in and not worry about the gas station. Like I can see how the industry can change and how consumers' mindsets can change once once they get into it. And you know, Rebecca, you were taught you're saying like, hey, you know, uh, you know, you, you you made one point. You said it was one thing, but not the other. Like you know how it Tesla people are buying a Tesla because of you know it's a Tesla and not because it's an electric car, but. I, I think they're doing both. Like I think Tesla is changing the public mindset in terms of what you can do and what's acceptable. Yeah, I think it's I agree with you. I door. think I think that now the, it's it's kind of the neighborhood effect of yes. you know like yes. like you said like you know like so all of a sudden you're seeing all of these and your neighbor had one and you can actually go and talk to him or her about it. And that's you know that's a really powerful thing. I I think that so so, you know, probably the first few years. So when I worked in Saudi Arabia, we actually studied Tesla buyers versus Nissan Leaf buyers, and they were not the same. I mean, that, that was what, five years ago? I mean, those, those were not even the same ballpark, you know, purchase price. Right. right. <laughs> All right. So, I so think hang Tesla on, played it well. <laughs> what we was sh- interesting, though, is that their income was not that different. Between the Nissan buyer, the Leaf buyer, and the Tesla really? buyer, their income actually was was closer. Their education level was close. There were there were definitely some overlaps from a demographic standpoint, but not from an attitudinal standpoint. That and their reason for purchase was very very different as well. And the Tesla was all about the status symbol. Mm-hmm. The Leaf was about saving the world. The Tesla was, this is a status symbol. It's great that it saves the world, but that's not why I'm buying it. But I do think that- Virtue signaling. Yes, virtue signaling, exactly. Showing off, yeah. But I do think that it's it has evolved, Dave. You're absolutely right. It has evolved where, and again, it's that neighborhood effect. Now, all of a sudden, you can talk to people and not a dealership or something or you know somebody that's with a bias. You can talk to your neighbor and see their experience. So hang on though. Which would you be? Would you be a leaf driver or a, or a leaf buyer or a Tesla buyer? Oh my God, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. What do you think I'm going to be? <laughs> see, I, I, I am I would, definitely a Tesla buyer. Yeah, because I, I kind of I go for that like curmudgeonly, like it doesn't matter whether I've got old money or not. Like I, which I don't, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> I would just I would buy the leaf. You know, wear my idealism, and and you, it's just enough. It's, I mean, look at Alex Roy, though. Remember how big of a critic and he's still he's a critic of a Tesla. But yeah. then he bought a Model 3 and look how much look how much his opinion has changed. I mean, yeah. he still faults the company when they're faulting, but right. it's still a viable product, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, that's that's true. I think 
um, for me, it's. I'll, I'll be curious to see what Alex does when the lease comes up on his Model Three, though. You know, whether, oh, he's he gets another sure. one, or you know, some you know, because now, right now, we're at a stage where we're getting a whole bunch of new product coming up that mm -hmm. is much more viable, um, you know, much more appealing. You know, the the industry has learned that you can't just go out and do something like the leaf, you know, where, you know, this is something that's going to appeal to environmentalists. It's got to be something that appeals on its own traits. You know, like what you said, Dave, you know, driving, it was relaxing and effortless and, you know, the, the rush of power. Well, you get the same feeling from almost any modern EV now, you know, you drive a Mach-E or uh, a Kona electric or any number of other EVs. And, you know, that experience is exactly the same and you don't have some of the downsides of, of owning a Tesla. All right. Well, we could do this like all night. So let's, let's move on to something else before we okay. <laughs> just get into the circular Tesla fire squad. <laughs> uh, any more guests lined up? Working on it. Yeah. So actually we could throw to that right now um, and I'll cut it into the show. So uh, the other day, one of the things that we talk about a lot is um, how products are, how cars are marketed and, and how those campaigns happen. And we, we talk about usually when the cars are discontinued, we say, you know, they're not really, they didn't actually try to sell that. Um, and so I actually had talked to a friend at a agency called Zuby Advertising down in Miami his name's Henry Gomez. Um, he's got a podcast called The Brief Brothers uh, with a, another uh, guy who's been in advertising for a long time. And he reached out at one point a couple of years ago when I had been uh, talking some smack about um, the, the Ford Pride or Ford Proud uh, campaign that's still running. Um, because I'm a big critic of automotive advertising. <laughs> I think that they just, they're struggling to figure out how to talk to people. And so I wanted to circle back with him and, and talk about that a little bit more in depth and just everybody's idea of how advertising is done for automotive, especially is usually not correct. They don't understand the industry. Uh, the same as, you know, the logistics of, of car building uh, seems really simple from the outside and it's, it's not. Um, so Henry and I talked for a good 40 minutes. Um, and that's, if you're a patron, you've already got it. Uh, but for all of the other listeners, I'll cut that into the show now and um, you can, can listen to me uh, tell Henry that he was right. So thanks for making time. Uh, we actually first talked because uh, I was on Twitter as I often am saying snarky crap. I think it was Twitter or LinkedIn or something, but I said some snarky crap a couple of years ago about a Ford campaign. And you, you reached out sort of calm and steady and said, hey, uh, you might be surprised <laughs> these ads are different because, you know, I, I work in advertising and I work in direct response, which is a lot different than, than brand advertising or, or you know, um, selling cars. And so uh, I often have opinions that sometimes don't, <laughs> don't always take into account all of the Whoa. things that you guys have to deal with. Um, so yeah, your background is is in, in advertising and marketing, not strictly automotive. But if you could just give us, you know, start off with the cliff notes of uh, of, of who you are and, and what you do. Sure. So um, I worked in an ad agency. Uh, the agency I work at is Zuby Advertising. We're in Miami, Florida. We're part of WPP. 
um, the largest uh, advertising PR agency holding company in the world. Um, I've been working here. It'll be coming up on three years. I've been in the ad industry for going on 25 years. Uh, I work in strategy, which means I, I deal with a lot of consumer research. I write creative briefs, basically get um, the creative assignments going. Um, and I kind of go through a lot of research and, and data and business data to get to what's important um, for the creatives to develop the advertising. And the, uh, the, the reason that we kind of got in, in touch was because you were tweeting and I was, <laughs> I was actually actively searching tweets about Ford because I had just started uh, working on this account and it was my first automotive account. I have a lot of fast food experience in my career. I've worked at McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, Dunkin', um, but I had never worked on an automotive account. So I was like absorbing as much information as I could. And, and at that time, the big story in the industry trade press was about um, Ford having this global uh, review for a new ad agency. And it was a big deal because the incumbent ad agency, which is my sister agency, GTB, um, had been working in some form, like the relationship between J. Walter Thompson, which is a WPP agency, and Ford goes back since the 1940s. So it's a long-standing relationship. And all of a sudden, the earth moved, and uh, Ford was having this review. And it got into the trade press that Wyden Kennedy, New York, um, had won the review and that they were going to be launching a new uh, campaign about Ford Pride. And in typical tr trade publication fashion, you know, they didn't have a lot of the inside scoop. They had like some broad strokes and they said, you know, it's going to be about Ford Pride. Um, and they left it at that. I think they were more interested in the story of how this account had moved from one agency to another. Than right. in what and the maybe the size of the media buy too, you know, like just the, yeah. how much money they're going to spend. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, having been working on one of the roster agencies, I had been exposed to the new campaign very early on. In fact, I was in Dearborn, Michigan, basically the day that it became revealed that they were going to go with this campaign that it was widening Kennedy. Uh, and so we were exposed to it early on. And of course, I couldn't tell you uh, because of confidentiality sure. what the campaign was really all about. I, I could only tell you that what Ad Age said really didn't really cover it. And that as somebody who's worked in advertising and branding for a couple of decades, I thought it was new and interesting work in a category where you don't often see new and interesting work. And in fact, when the campaign launched in, I, I want to say it was like uh, October of, of that year, um, it was during football season. I went and looked at a bunch of tweets, kind of the same thing as how I found you. And there was a lot of positive commentary about, about the campaign, about um, uh, Brian Cranston, the, the voice of the campaign, yep. uh, the creative. And it was Definitely something different for Ford, uh, you know, and I think different in the, in, in the category. So that's kind of how we, we first started, we first got in touch, then we got in touch on LinkedIn and we've kind of maintained a little bit of a relationship ever since. Sure. And, and you were right. You, um, and one of the, the reasons why uh, it's, it's almost easy to sort of pick on automotive is because they're having a really hard time now. It's such a diverse market and it's so stratified in a way. It's not like it was in the 60s, 70s or, or 80s where you put out the car and 
that's it. You know, this is your choices. You can get a car or a pickup or a station wagon. There's a lot of different choices and um, uh, different demographics and different uses now that kind of didn't exist in the past. And it's, it's, there's also different channels to advertise to people. So you're not necessarily finding people on broadcast. Sports is different a little bit because there's, there is a diverse audience, but other than sports, there's not really an easy way. I think it goes deeper than that. I think automobile makers, automakers have a, a unique set of challenges that a lot of other brands don't have. And I start with the distinction of company and brand, right? Um, we use, we throw the word brand around a lot, but you can have a really good company, but not have a very strong brand. And I think that that's the case for a lot of automakers, because these are companies that were founded a hundred years ago, 80 years ago, 90 years ago in the era before modern marketing, right? So, uh, 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 and I'm going to use Ford just as an example, but it could be any manufacturer, you know, their core competency isn't in marketing. Their core competency is in design and engineering. It's in manufacturing. It's in dealing with suppliers. It's in dealing with regulations. It's in um, dealing with dealers. Um, and, and so they're really, their core competency is around the design and building of the car and everything that goes into it. And marketing is almost like an afterthought. So I think the, the difference between modern brands that um, were born like post 1980s as marketing became more formalized um, is that you, you don't start a company today without figuring out what your marketing strategy is, what your brand stands for and what your brand purpose is. But back then these legacy companies didn't have that. So you kind of have, they are kind of antiquated in the way that they look at marketing. And that's true, I think, just across the board in the auto space, with the exception of the new like startups, like the Teslas of the world that were, you know, born yesterday, literally. Right. So yeah. they're kind of yeah. born into this environment where marketing is everything. And, and even them that they, they don't use like paid advertising a ton, right. They have a different model and they're also still in the growth stage of their, of their existence. They're not in that mature state of like, where am I going to get that incremental 1% growth? Um, because that's not, that's just not where they are in their life cycle. So I, I think it's, it's fascinating, but it is a function of, you know, automobile manufacturers also have the, the purchase cycle is long, right? Like mm -hmm. between moments in time when I'm going to be in the market for an automobile, five, six, seven, eight years can pass, right? Like, uh, yeah. And the more reliable cars become, right? Like the, the longer right. that the better you make them, the more like, you almost like work yourself out of a job, right? And, you know, they, they... not only that, you know, there's a lot of substitutes now, so you can get a reliable used car, right, for a fraction of what a new car costs. You can do ride sharing uh, and not buy a car. Uh, I think we're seeing generations of kids growing up. Like when I was 15, like I was counting the days down until I got my right. college license. To, and to get my car, I don't think yep, it's today that, you know, they're getting chauffeured around to soccer practice and whatever it is, the lacrosse and, and they don't have a desire to get behind the wheel of the car and deal with traffic and the stress and all that. So it's also kind of a weird moment for, for automakers. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to me, like the, that seeing that consistent struggle with uh, how to 
how to find that customer now. Um, I, I sort of feel like they, both the agencies sometimes struggle with this and the automakers, their clients struggle with it. And I'm sure there's tension there. Um, and and uh, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but I wanted to hear your your take on it and maybe from like the the blank page, say there's there's a new model and they want to sell it and they come to you. How does that start? Because I think people have imagined the process a lot differently than it actually happens. Great, great example. You know, obviously, and, and it's it's another point, right, where, where uh, a lot of times marketing is at the end of the line, right? So the, the product designer, somebody decides they, they, there's going to be a new nameplate or an all new. And, you know, we hear about it and we start doing research and we start, but but the reality is that a lot of it is being driven by the by the company and and it's being driven by this is the way it's always been done we're starting to see it a little different um i'm not going to reveal any secrets but ford it has been out in the press the ford is going to unveil soon a compact truck which is going to be a new segment smaller than the current what is the mid-sized trucks like the the ranger is in that mid-size, mm-hmm. the Tacoma's in that mid-size. So Ford's gonna be coming out with a, with a compact truck smaller than the Ranger. And um, what was really heartening uh, during and working in that process so far has been the fact that um, there was a lot of consumer research done to find out what the needs of the consumer are, rather than just saying, we're gonna build this product, is we're gonna go out and find out what is the need, and then we're gonna design a product to it. So that's, you're starting to see more marketing orientation um, in, in the manufacturers than there used to be, where it was, you know, the, I think the old adage of Henry Ford saying, they could have it any color they want as long as it's black. Like there was a point in time where the manufacturer had the leverage, right? But now consumers have the choice and leverage. And But you brought up another interesting point, which is most manufacturers have a range of nameplates in a range of segments, right? So it's hard to organize one brand that represents um, everything to all of those different types of consumers, right? Like the compact truck consumer is going to be very different than the person who's buying a, a uh, heavy duty full-size truck, like a, like an mm-hmm. F-250, right? So, uh, you know, it's hard to create a master brand that works with all of these sub-segments. I think where you've seen it work well is with brands like Jeep, that they kind of have a niche, right? They're in that, you know, off-road adventure space or GMC, they're in that truck SUV space. And I think that's what you see Ford kind of moved to a couple of years ago when they said, you know what? doesn't make sense for us to compete in all these segments that were like the seventh, eighth favorite car or vehicle in that segment when we're really known for our trucks and our SUVs and let's concentrate on that core competency. And so um, I, I think that's part of the struggle for auto, auto manufacturers when it comes to, to marketing. Certainly the stuff that you mentioned with regards to digital advertising and all that is changing the landscape but I don't think it changes it as much as people think. It's still about communications. It's still about building brand. It's still about creating desire in consumers, whether I'm showing it to you in a 15 second uh, Facebook online video, or I'm showing it to you in a 30 second TV spot during a football game. It, it, the, the objective is the same and the tactics are somewhat similar. Um, 
I don't think that that's a big part of it. I think what the, the challenge for a lot of marketers, not just in the auto space, but specifically in the auto space, is that they're big institutional clients that move yeah. slowly and have a lot of layers of bureaucracy. And that's just kind of the way it is. So anything that you can do to kind of streamline the decision-making process to have agreement on this is what our brand stands for across all of the nameplates, across all of the segments, and have that be strong. You know, a lot of manufacturers have nameplates that are stronger than the than the parent brand. Sure. I'm Mustang, Bronco. Those are example. those are nameplates that have they mean something most people recognize that they're Fords. But Mustang is its own thing, right? And and even if you look at the Mustang, it doesn't have a Ford Oval badge on it, right? So um, part of it is by design because they want to keep it pure. But, you know, it is a challenge. If you're Ford, it's like, you know, Mustang is kind of out there on its own. Bronco's out there on its own. Um, so, and, and that's true of, of all manufacturers, I think, that have, you know, some particularly strong nameplates versus uh, others. Yeah. So, um, do you find that you have to educate your, your clients now on how that, that effort, that effort to find people, you know, are you educating them on here's how grassroots works on say social media, right? Like if we're trying to find those people, it's going to take this amount of effort. And it's, it's not like broadcast used to be where you just put the message out. You're going to have to curate that. You're going to need to have people on that. That's going to be a full-time job for a few people to interact and tell your story in a slightly different way. I think most clients are on board with that now. A few years ago, that wasn't the case, right? We were kind of like in this brave new world of digital advertising. I mean, things have moved really fast. I mean, if you go back five or six years, there really wasn't even paid advertising on Facebook. It was all organic, right? And then they started with the paid, uh, and then they started throttling back organic reach. So digital marketing five years ago is very different than what it is now, which is very similar to what all types of marketing were before, which is pay to play. You, you want access to my audience. You've got to pay me X amount of money and we're going to give you at a CPM. This is what you're going to pay. Um, so I think the clients are on board with that now. Um, in a way it simplifies things because before in order to really be effective in the digital arena, you did have to kind of curate community and, yeah. and, and, and all of that. I think nowadays what you're seeing is, well, if we throw enough money at it, we can expose a lot of people on Facebook, uh, to it. Um, it, it, it kind of is the, the attention spans are short and there isn't a lot of appetite for, you know, long-term things that have to be like curated over time. But that's also, you know, just a problem with the marketing industry in general. And cons- yes, consistency, <laughs> consistency is, is really important. You know, when you're changing agencies and you're changing taglines and you're changing brand position every three or five years, there's no way that customers, I mean, the best brands were built over 20, 30, 40 years and they never deviate too far from the formula. They might reinvent themselves or the formula given the current times. But usually if you do the work properly, you'll find that your brand stood for something at a certain point in time. And that something is timeless. It's, it doesn't right. matter. Um, so the real trick is to strip out what is timeless from your company's early history and, and success 
and apply that now and not abandon it for the flavor of the month and say, oh, it's influencer marketing. We're going to do everything. You know, there's a lot of follow the shiny object in our industry. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a good point um, because we found back, say, five years ago, it was it was more of the Wild West, especially on digital platforms where you could get lucky almost and game the system and get that organic reach. And then they, they just, they smothered it. And to the point where organic now is only a long-term play. And if you're going to launch something, you've, you've got to pay. And it's actually a lot easier too, because the companies have set up those marketplaces and they figured out that we can get actual recurring revenue. If we allow people to buy space on our network. So they've built these shadow broadcast networks <laughs> inside their platforms. It's I mean, amazing. I mean, look, I say all the time is like, what's a YouTube pre-roll ad? I mean, it looks like a lot like a TV ad to me. It's like, exactly what it is. The only difference is like, well, okay, what do we want the person to do and, and what can we do? So that's the question is, is like, and, are we getting, and even then a lot of the advertising you see on YouTube, it doesn't ask you to do anything different than what they ask you to do on TV, which is consider right. us. Hey, look at us. This is our new thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't watch a ton of regular TV. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube. I'm into sailing. So I watch a lot of sailing content on YouTube. Nice. Yeah. So, but, so I'm getting exposed to TV ads all the time because they're appearing on my, on my now what I get is probably a little different than what you'd get based on your interests. But there's probably some stuff like the big product launches for the big brands. We're probably both getting them because they're buying everybody, right? Right. They're just spray and pray. The, the, <laughs> the same way that they might might have 20 years ago just buy prime time to buy a broad cross-section of audience at the same time that they're buying certain niche programming like, you know, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom or whatever, right. you know. But, um, yeah, you know, it's – you know, you mentioned uh, the early days of the Wild West. You know, everybody remembers the famous Oreo Super Bowl. Two, yes. Right? Like that rock it, it was a case. We use it as a case study, actually, in one of our, our company meetings. Uh, I, I brought it up and presented it. I was like, this is, look how fast they moved and, and look how emotional it is. And, and now look at, you know, you get the earned media on the backside of it because they did a thing and now you've got primetime news channels actually taking your ad and putting it in their broadcast. You didn't buy that. Yeah. You, you couldn't, but that's, that's like lightning in a bottle that isn't really replicatable uh, on right. a regular basis. Right. Like you, you, if you have a very, and, and I'm not poo-pooing digital at all. I'm just saying that there's been a convergence right between what was at one time, a very considered a different silo altogether and what we've traditionally known as paid advertising and marketing, even influencers. Like if you go back to the 1950s, you know, you paid Jackie Gleason $50,000 right. to smoke your cigarette during the broadcast. And you, and you sponsored his TV show. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> so, I mean, these are celebrity endorsements. They're less known celebrities, but in the world that they're, they occupy, they're well-known celebrities. So, I, right. I, there's nothing new. Uh, there's just kind of new wrinkles. Um, yeah. That's the way that, 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 that I see it. Um, well, and, and you, you know, you, you pointed out the CPM, you know, cost for cost per thousand. And that's really like that near customer acquisition costs. They sort of like, that's where the rubber hits the road across everything. So if they can 
only show it to 20,000 people, but that winds up getting them 300 sales mm-hmm. versus showing it to a million yeah. for 300 sales, which is more efficient. Yeah. So and, <laughs> makes sense. And the converse is true too. I think early on, right, the promise of digital was this hyper-targeting, right? Like we're only going to target the people that are the most likely to, but you can, when the whole country is on Facebook, you can use Facebook as a broad reach medium to generate huge awareness for your general brand or product. If you, you know, if you're, if you're in a niche, it's great because you can buy only that niche, but if you're a big consumer brand and you want to target all women, Facebook, you can do it with TV and you can do it with Facebook. So um, I think that that's one of the things that you don't hear a lot about, but it's how to use some of these things that were heretofore thought of as, you know, shooting with a rifle instead of a shotgun. Well, you could use them in a shotgun approach too. Yeah. Well, you, and you kind of have to when it's a brand the size of, of you know, Ford or, or GM or, you know, one of those automakers. Um, let, let's talk a little bit specifically about what Zuby does because you're – Focus more on on a multicultural approach. Um, so that's what does that mean in terms of advertising? Right. So um, glad you asked. So Zubi Advertising is is named after Tere Zubizarreta. Uh, Zubizarreta is a long Spanish last name, and she cut it to Zubi because she said if I had named it Zubizarreta, I'd still be looking for my first client. Uh, <laughs> so as she founded the agency in the early seventies. Um, she had started out, she was a Cuban uh, refugee, fled communism, came to Miami uh, with a high school degree um, and needed to find a job, uh, went to an ad agency and got a job as a secretary. They famously asked her a bunch of questions and her answer was, I don't know, but I'll learn. And she, yeah. she got the job. Um, and in about 10 years, she learned the industry forward and backward. Um, and she, she established Zuby Advertising at that time working on real estate clients. So Miami is a big boom bust real estate market with developments and all. And that's kind of what she grew up in at that first agency that she worked at. So she started doing what she knew, which was real estate advertising. And then mid seventies, um, there was a, a bust as is often happens in boom bust cycles. And she, the agency almost went bankrupt. So she started seeing these uh, newspaper articles about how Hispanics were going to be the largest minority group in the country in the 1980s. Like the demographers could already see that eventually Hispanics would overtake blacks as the largest minority in the country. And so she said, that's what I'm gonna go after. I'm Hispanic, there's a market here, nobody's talking to me. So she began evangelizing to corporate America and, you know, began, a long history of uh, bringing big blue chip brands into the multicultural marketing uh, world. Brands like PepsiCo, uh, Winn-Dixie's a grocery store down here. Um, I mean, our, our historical client roster is just a who's who of blue chip agencies. And even, I mean, uh, clients, and even today, we have the Ford Motor Company, that's uh, uh, an account we've had for 25 years. Um, wow. The JP Morgan Chase, uh, that's like a client we've had for 15 years. So, um, we work in the U S Hispanic market. Historically, that meant Spanish language advertising, uh, historically it meant subpar budgets, um, and, you know, fighting for your budget and your existence every year. Um, over time as the Hispanic boom 
continue continue to boom yeah um, um <laughs> the the space, the Hispanic agency space grew and grew and it was very vibrant around uh, the turn of the century, around 2000. Um, You know, we had this immigration boom in the 90s and the early 2000s, and that immigration was followed by a baby boom among those immigrants. So that's why the explosive growth in the Hispanic market. What we've seen since is that even though the market continues to expand, the space for dedicated Hispanic agency has contracted. There's far fewer today than there were. I mean, in 2007, 2008, I worked for the largest Hispanic agency in the country. That agency doesn't exist anymore. And we're talking 13 years later. So, um, uh, but it curiously, digital is an interesting area, right? Because now it doesn't become about language anymore. It's not just because our problem was that the media always was in two buckets, English or Spanish. Right. So we were given our area to play in, which was the Spanish language media, and the general market agency would play in the English language media or the general market media, right? But now with things like Facebook, like I can be talked to as a Hispanic in English or in Spanish um, if you target me because I let Facebook know that I'm Hispanic and that I'm interested in certain things. That So I might get an ad from Ford in Spanish or in English. Either could be produced by Zuby. Um, my agency. So um, it, it is fascinating, but it's at, at its core, there's nothing new about multicultural marketing. It's segment marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Segment marketing basically says, hey, is there a segment that you can talk to maybe a little bit differently about your brand and achieve better results than if you just talk to them um, as one of 330 million Americans, right? Well, yeah, and that's what I wanted to touch on that because, like, what do you do that is different? It's it's not just when when we do it, it's not just translating the English ad into Spanish. A because you have to be sure, like, if I'm putting an ad on the air in Miami, it's got to be the right Spanish. I can't send it to Spain and use Spain Spanish in Miami, yeah. and I can't have somebody from Venezuela translate. Like, it needs to be the right dialect, and it needs to be a native speaker. And so yeah. all of that, just that approach, what changes is it? Is it just, you know, the things you're portraying? How do you make it so bring there's, there's, I mean, it's a spectrum, right? So there are occasions where we're asked to look at an idea or a campaign, and it works perfectly fine. And frankly, in the old days of Hispanic advertising, unfortunately, a lot of agencies, Hispanic agencies would tell the client, no, you can't do that. That's not going to work. And they really didn't have any backing for that. But there are certainly certain things that resonate better with certain audiences uh, and things that don't resonate as well. I'm going to give you a, an example. Um, so uh, the Ford Ranger, uh, if you're familiar with mid-sized pickup trucks, like basically the way all of the manufacturers, including Toyota, including Chevy, including Ford, position mid-sized pickup trucks is as kind of off-road adventure vehicles, right? Um, they, they're trying to keep a purity of the segment to keep it from the full-size trucks um, because they don't want to cannibalize. They don't want somebody to come in for a full-size truck and then leave with a mid-size. Like they right. want there to because be your kind of distinct <laughs> usage areas, um, et cetera, right? So um, uh, mid-size trucks are generally positioned as these off-road adventure vehicles where the full-size trucks are seen more as workhorses um, for, you know, for use for towing and hauling for work purposes and so forth, 
right? Uh, so what's, how do Hispanics experience the outdoors? Uh, how do they internalize being outdoors? What activities do they do when they're outdoors? All of those things are very different than what a non-Hispanic white middle-class person would experience. Number one, a lot of Hispanics are just coming into their own financially, which means mm -hmm. they haven't had a lot of time for exploring national parks and, you know, uh, free soloing Mount Baldy or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> also, there's kind of like a more cultural difference in terms of Hispanics want to go out with their family. They want to have a leisurely time. They want to enjoy nature more passively, where we kind of see this stereotype on the general market. Like, I want to master myself. I want to master nature. So if you're launching this product and it's intended for the outdoors, then it behooves you to know how Hispanics experience the outdoors and how they, and we're actually doing that assignment right now, again, because Bronco Sport, we're working on a campaign uh, to launch Bronco Sport uh, to the Hispanic market, which will start running uh, in February, which we're very excited about. But that's an example, right, of how, mm -hmm. The premise for the whole segment is different for Hispanics. So we want to portray that in a more tailored way that Hispanics won't look at it and say, oh, no, that's not for me. I'll give you another example in another category. I worked sure. on both Burger King and McDonald's. First Burger King, and then I went to the agency that handled McDonald's, also in the Hispanic market. At that time, Burger King uh, had a campaign um, that was very effective for them. But it was what I would, what I labeled frat boy humor. It was a very um, slacker oriented type of cynical uh, satire humor. Um, and it kind of created this, this world. And McDonald's has always been about families. And the funny thing was when you'd go into focus groups and you show them Burger King advertising, they would say, I don't recognize this world. Where are the kids? Where are the families, right? Like, and so Burger King was very, being very, in one way, very disciplined to what their brand was about, but what they didn't realize was that they needed to adapt it a little bit for the Hispanic market, which saw kind of this fictional world that they were creating around the king and all this is kind of an alien world that's not a reflection of what I live in. And frankly, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, Hispanic consumers, because a lot of them were immigrants, a lot of them didn't necessarily have the level of educational attainment that we would expect from a non-Hispanic white American whose family has been here for generations, you know, as consumers, they're not as sophisticated, right? They're more see and say, they're more, and, and that was true at the time, you know? So, and, and that's changing, obviously, like I mentioned, there's a big baby boom of Hispanics that are born in the U.S. They're going to be English uh, dominant, uh, higher educational attainment. But the point is that there are all these nuances that you have to navigate when you're dealing with multicultural audiences um, to deal with. There's differences between Blacks and Hispanics, right? Like, if you think about the, the, the prototypical African-American story is the descendant of slaves, the descendant of somebody that was brought here against their will. And that creates a very different attitude about America and the brands that are American than the typical Hispanic story, which is somebody in my family decided to come here voluntarily to look for better opportunities and we were somehow were able to get them, right? So that's a complete, both minority markets in a lot of cases sharing the same neighborhoods, but a completely different outlook on life and on the country 
and on the companies that are trying to sell them stuff. Yeah, so it's a, it's a you know, matching the lived experience, I guess, to what you're portraying on screen so that it, it sort of, you pick, you picture yourself in that, in that environment, in that scenario, um, I think is what I, when I pitch it, I'm, I'm trying to say, like, you, you have to make it a little bit aspirational. You, you have to understand the people and you have to ha- make it so that they can put themselves in there. You, you touched and, on something really important, which is our job isn't just to put a mirror back on the Hispanic consumer and say, this is your life, buy from us. It's, it's for us to understand what's in that mirror and say, okay, so the aspiration for that person is this because right. of these reasons. And here's your thing that we want you to shoot to aspire to the new Mustang or the new Ranger or the new Bronco sport. Um, it's not just because if you just reflect back to them, that really isn't motivating. It's you want to reflect back to them, like their best self, right? With, right. Exactly. With Other, otherwise you're the news. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's, that's great. I was actually, it's funny. Um, I, you moved there as I was going to ask you anyway, just sort of how cars are different than fast food anyway. Um, and so your last example was, was, uh, sort of brings it together where they're not necessarily different at all. I mean, I can tell you, uh, you know, the other thing was really interesting and I'll give you a, if you looked at fast food, um, you had Hispanics, um, had lower frequency of visiting than African-Americans, but they had bigger ticket, right? So the average Hispanic was spending more money each time they went, but they went a little less than African-Americans. African-Americans would go with a lot of, but they would, they would buy like the, the lower price menu items. Often they were buying for only themselves, right? Which will drive average ticket down. When you're buying for yourself and your family, it drives average ticket up. So you see differences just in usage, uh, like patterns and occasions, like parties with kids was something really big uh, for Hispanics because we're having a baby boom, right? And so parties, you know, I had a friend who, I have a friend who's a realtor and his wife is a doctor. So him being a realtor, you know, he's in the car and mobile all the time. So he's like uh, Mr. Mom. He's the one that drops the kids at school, picks them up and, and all of these things. And he used to tell me that the McDonald's uh, near us, where, near where we live, he called it the poor man's Chuck E. Cheese. And the reason <laughs> was because all the Hispanic families would take their kids there and the kids would jump in the, in the ball yeah, pit. Get and get the ball pit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so understanding that... Th- how the consumers actually use your products is, is a big part of it. And that not everybody is that, you know, middle-class person from suburban Chicago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Um, I will, I've taken more time, more of your time uh, than I thought. So I will generously give you the last 20 minutes of your day. Um, no problem. Back. Um, it was- but I, I, I do want to just make sure that we mention your, your podcast. Cause that was actually, I saw it and that's, full circle, like why I was like, oh, I should talk to, to Henry because um, you're doing a, a podcast that talks about all of this stuff, uh, not necessarily just for cars, but one of our, on our podcast, one of the things that comes up a lot is how the cars that we talk about get marketed and we usually have opinions. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's fascinating. Your podcast with uh, Howard Ibeck is called uh, The Brief Brothers, right? Um, why don't you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Um- the funny thing is about two years ago, it'll be two years in March, Howard, I've known Howard for over a decade. Um, I, I bought his book uh, on Amazon. It was, he wrote a book, how to write an inspired creative brief. I bought it. And then I brought him to my agency to lead a seminar 
um, on how to write an inspired creative brief because often there are people that aren't strategists that are charged with writing certain creative briefs. And I thought it would be good to get, you know, people the exposure. And so we, we hit it off since then and maintain our cordial relationship. So he texted me one day and he sent me this paper that was drafted by the ANA about collaboration uh, between agencies and clients in drafting the creative brief. And I had a very strong opinion of it. Uh, uh, today, actually, that episode where we talk about it drops. But it was, oh, awesome. it was two years ago. And I said, you know what? We're having this debate. It's very fiery. We should probably do a podcast where we talk about all kinds of things about. Um, so two years later, we finally launched the podcast. Um, we're, we're dropping one every Wednesday. Um, you know, it's a niche audience. It's people that are interested in, in advertising and in creative briefing and creative briefs. But we also look at a piece of creative every week and we kind of dissect it from a strategy standpoint and say, what were they trying to do? What was the unique selling proposition? What was the target audience? Things like that. And you mentioned uh, in your email to me that, you know, by coincidence, the first piece of creative we reviewed was actually an automotive uh, right. piece for, for Jeep. And it was the, the pale blue dot spot by Jeep in launching their uh, all electric Wrangler. And Howard had a very strong take on how he was offended by it because he's a Carl Sagan fanboy. And I'm more the realist <laughs> and I kind of sided with the marketer, even though they're a competitor um, and said, you know what, I, I get what they're trying to do and there's reasons for it. And they, they need to walk a fine line. And I think that they did it. Um, and so that was kind of the, the yeah. genesis, but yeah, every Wednesday it's called the brief brothers. Um, we're posting, uh, uh, links on LinkedIn every Wednesday for, and if you go to Howard H O W A R D I B A C H.com. He's got a section there called the brief brothers, and you can sign up for an email that'll remind you every Wednesday that there's a new podcast and what the subject is, the creative will be reviewing and stuff like that. Cool. Cool. Well, hopefully you get some traction. It was really interesting to, to listen to and hear you guys uh, sort of tee off against each other. Because um, I, I, it's funny, I, f I feel both sides of that one with the Jeep ad. It's like, well, they made a really nice Carl Sagan ad, but they didn't make such a great Jeep ad. But it is beautifully done. Yeah. And, and I see what they're going for. So it's funny. I can see both sides of that, that argument. I think, you know, I think that's really... We need in this day and age, in this environment, we need more understanding and like say, you know what, I might be wrong. Like, or let me open my mind a little bit to your point of view and let's talk about it and let's be respectful about it. And, I, and you know, I think that's the good thing about me and Howard is, you know, we both have immense respect for each other. He's a former copywriter and creative director. So he's approaching the brief from a different point of view than I am as a planner strategist. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they, they definitely go together. You know, anytime I have to start with creative, my first questions are, what's the strategy? What are we trying to do? So they definitely link up. Um, so yeah, uh, certainly I'm going to go check it out, uh, for the latest episode. And I suggest our audience does as well. And, uh, you know, Henry, I want to thank you for your, your time here with, with wheel bearings. It's my your agencies are busy and you spent 45 minutes on zoom with me. So I appreciate it. No worries, sir. It was a pleasure, right. and I'll be glad to come back if you ever want to discuss anything. Super Bowl is coming up. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great auto ads or not so great auto ads to pick apart. Yeah, we should have you back for that. I think that's a, that's a good idea. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with auto ads at the Super Bowl this year. All right. Excellent. Interesting. You know, an idea for a guest, and this is just me being selfish. 
you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Autoline and, and McElroy. Um, I would enjoy hear, uh, hearing him being interviewed because he does all the interviewing and I'm sure he's got lots of good stories. They come out once in a while, but I would enjoy a good you know, interview yeah. with him, good conversation with him to hear some of his histories. That's a great idea. And yeah, John's, I'll, I'll, John's I'll shoot really him a note and uh, see if yeah. he'll come on the show with us. He, he yeah. came on the Autoblog podcast a couple of times back in the day. So I'm sure he's he'd, lovely. He'd make some, make some time for us. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a couple of surprises we've got uh, lined up with guests. Um, I, I don't, I think I'm ready to talk about it, but I'm excited. Dan, Dan's got a really good one lined up. Yeah, it's just gonna love trying, this one. He's trying so hard not to be a fan. He's gonna reincarnate <laughs> Oh, I'll have to get Alex on too, though. Yeah, Alex would be great. Yeah, let me make a yeah. I'll make. Well, a I have a suggestion about the flow of the show. Sure. And that is, I listen to the show in pieces as I drive back and forth to work. So I may listen to 15 or 20 minutes at a time, and then I'll go to work, and then I'll listen to 15 or 20 minutes more. And so it seems like, um, like when you're talking about a car, often you'll say the name of the car at the beginning of the segment. And then if I turn on later, yeah, so I, can't tell, I can't remember what you were talking about yeah. at the first of the day. And you won't ever say the name of the car again. And I'll have to back. <laughs> did you, did yes, you tweet? Yes. Did you send that to us? Were you the one that sent that to it? Because somebody did it. Also That's mentioned. That's been a consistent thing. We've been doing, we've been pulling that crap on you guys since the yeah. days. So I'm yeah. sorry. We'll be better. I, I'm glad to know it's not just me. And, and, and yeah. I'm even worse. I'll be listening or I'll be exercising and you'll be talking along. And I'm like, wait, what car is it again? And ah, see, there's your mistake. Exercising. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll try to fix it's like, that. Well, because yeah. you guys do such such an in-depth job that your conversation will be 15 you, minutes you, long. I mean, we ramble on. Yeah. No, no, that's in-depth analysis. <laughs> that's a very nice PR spin. I like that. Um, no, we'll, we'll make it a point to try to remember to, to surface what the hell we're talking about a little more. Yeah. <laughs> Not every sentence, but just, it, it, you know, every, I don't know, it's kind of like when the sportscasters are calling a game. They have a timer so they'll know every so often to say the score. Just because yeah. if you tune in, you, you want to know the score within the first three or four minutes. Sure. So no, kind that's of a, that's good. I, I like that. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely do that. Cool. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Yeah, well, yeah thank you very much. We appreciate it. And maybe next time we can do like drinks. Ooh. Oh, you guys! Wait, you guys weren't drinking. I'm empty. <laughs> I tried that. Thought, I tried that for one. In here. I tried that for one show. That was a bad idea. I did tea tonight. <laughs> she, she slept for three days afterwards. No, I couldn't remember things. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Hey, we love to listen to our listeners, too. Drop us an email to feedback at wheelbearings.media with your thoughts, questions, or conversation starters. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. You can also find us on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Don't use any vowels except for the A in cast. So that's W-H-L-B-R-N-G-S cast. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.